Welcome to Fandom Power. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Fandom Power. This time, as promised, uh, way back when we did our uh, both our Mandalorian Fandalorian review series and our Order 66, we uh, agreed to commit to reviewing the Bad Batch. So uh, sit back and relax for the next, what, uh, 15 sessions as we get through the 16 episodes of the Bad Batch in Fandom Power Presents the Fan Batch. <laughs> All right, so this is kind of cool because just like uh, season two of The Mandalorian where they debuted at sort of midweek, The Bad Batch debuted on uh, May the 4th. So, uh, Star Wars Day. On Star Wars Day, yeah. And uh, my first my first thought was, are they going to pull a Mandalorian and drop two episodes this week? Because the 4th of May was a Tuesday, and uh, sure enough, they did. So it kind of caught me off guard because it was a busy week for me where I had a lot of stuff going on. I'm like, oh, I guess I got to fit another one in. <laughs> Crazy. All did right. You guys happen, just before we get rocking on that, did you guys happen to catch either of the biomes or the, the Starship fly-throughs? Andy yes. and I were just talking about that as we drove down this morning, and we were I like, yes, we did. Biome. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed Especially it. Especially the Hoth one. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Superb. I, I didn't know I needed that. <laughs> no, I liked it quite a bit. I, I love the uh, the Hoth one for me reminded me of sort of like uh, the Battle of Hoth, but from the Empire side as they were advancing on Echo Base. Yes. Oh yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, although those snow speeders seemed a little bit out of place. <laughs> <laughs> no, I very much enjoyed that. And like Andy said, with the fly-throughs, like the uh, you felt. Did you feel kind of ripped off when the Millennium Falcon? Like, hey, man, you need to show me more. <laughs> yeah, I sort of thought we spent too much time outside of it. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't even get um, to see the that bathroom. Looked like a gal- that that one particular looked like a sort of a Galaxy's Edge commercial. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, just as a fan, I would have preferred an Imperial uh, or a Victory class Star Destroyer to a First Order Star Destroyer. E- but, I agree with you. But both were fairly impressive. I mean, I couldn't tell the difference whether that was real or CG or sets or models or whatever. So that was that was perfect. And then, of course, them yeah. wanting to capture all eras of Star Wars, too, right? Mm-hmm. And I like that they are just the, it's that those two little things are fan service. You might revisit them. You know, but probably not. But they threw them out for the, you know, the the birthday, if you want, or or, or whatever you want to call it. So right. that was kind of cool of them. You know, they didn't, they don't have to do that stuff. No, and I mean, uh, you got to wonder, is that like a passion project where somebody, you know, at Lucasfilm is saying, listen, I've got this thing I'm doing in my spare time, and if it works out, can we do something with it? And, you know, so the appropriate boss goes, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's certainly <laughs> quite possible. It could be like test footage for new game mechanics. It could be, you know, and they just have the stuff laying around. Certainly the Hoth stuff looked like an elevated version of, of the Battlefront 2 game, but way cleaner, like, you know, closer to live action. Yeah. 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 All right, gentlemen, what do you think? You want to, uh, you want to take a dive into one of these episodes? Let's hit the aftermath. All right. Episode one, it's called Aftermath. It debuted uh, Tuesday, May 4th, uh, 2021, depending on when you're listening to this. I don't know how far away you are from that. This one is co-written by Jennifer Corbett and uh, Dave Filoni. So Jennifer Corbett, uh, she's been tasked as the series lead writer. Uh, Her previous writing credits include three episodes of uh, Star Wars Resistance, 
She was the co-executive producer of NCIS, and she wrote 17 episodes of that show. So interesting to see, you know, someone who's got a background in writing legal drama, how that translates uh, over to (laughs) Star Wars. Well, they're going to run into some legal troubles along the way. You'd think, right, with the change of government. (laughs) The law is, in fact, changing. You know, as a writer, and and everybody wants to write yep. this, yeah. Other than that, and you just sort of, you sort of end up writing what they tell you. <laughs> so this is, you know, what I mean. So all writers want to stretch into something, you know, and all writers are, you know, some are better at certain things than others, certainly. But I think all writers want to want to capture energy and comedy and 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 uh, action and, and drama all at the same time, but tend to get pigeonholed into the. So it's nice to see someone stretching. And uh, I also don't think Dave Filoni, you know, if he's going to hand the, the gears over and just put a, you know, a name on it and then oversee it. Yeah. Um, I got a so far so good so that he gets a lot of passes from from me to start. And that's why I'm, I'm also OK with the pace of the show to start. too. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that when we get into some of the plot beats about pacing, because I think that really plays heavily into sort of where where I sit with it uh, sort of as a fan emotionally and like in terms of my interest level. Mm. So this one is uh, directed by Stuart Lee. And if you're not familiar with Stuart Lee, uh, 23 episodes of the Clone Wars, 15 episodes of Star Wars Rebels and 19 episodes of Star Wars Resistance. However, he did have some help. And this is where I start to go, oh, oh, because you've got two other directors on this one. You've got Saul Ruiz, who we've, we've heard his name before. Four episodes of The Clone Wars, uh, some of our favorites actually in that last season. Twelve episodes of Rebels and six episodes of Resistance. And then our other director that we both spoke, or we all spoke highly about was Nathaniel Villanova with four episodes of Clone Wars all in the, uh, the last season. It concerns me when you throw that many directors into, uh, into an, a single episode. <laughs> you know, I appreciate the collaborative process. I mean, certainly we, we're doing that as we speak. It is a long episode, though. It is a long episode, but at the same time, I mean, maybe it's just me and I'm just being, you know, kind of cautious about it. I mean, you have these, you know, director teams like the, the Wachowskis and you have the, the Russos who are, you know, great directors as a team. I just don't know if the the three of these, because all three of these directors individually have like turned out some great Star Wars content. But at the end of the episode, when I sat back and I looked at what we had, I was like, was there a conflict of ideas here? Like, was there something going on where things weren't necessarily jiving maybe the way I wanted them to? But who knows? I'll be curious to know if in future episodes, if we have big collaborative directorial efforts. And I think it's a lot to do with the, a very similar team structure to the, what we had going on with the Mandalorian. Like, yeah, like everybody sat around and wrote the episodes. Everybody sat around and planned out the beats. Right. Sat, you know, so I think there are a lot of people wearing a lot of different hats. And I think it is a very collaborative process. Yeah. And, and I, I, I was saying some negative things earlier, like not negative, but um, trepidatious things about it being too derivative of, of Mandalorian style and, and and plot and stuff and i'm yep. like I'm, I'm almost all turned around on that after having watched oh that's interesting that'll make for some good conversation because i yeah. i'm on my rewatch last night i decided that uh, i'm still where i was on my initial sure. thoughts yeah wicked all right i'm going to give you a, a, a large 
synopsis, which is basically going to lay out the uh, the beats for the whole episode. Uh, this one comes courtesy of uh, the general Wikipedia page, not the uh, not the Star Wars Wikipedia, the Wikipedia, which was a very concise but yet informative synopsis. So, uh, while the Bad Batch are assisting Jedi Master Depa Bilaba and her Padawan Caleb Doom, Order sixty six is issued and Bilaba is killed. The Bad Batch received the order too, but only Crosshair feels compelled to obey it, and Hunter lets Doom escape. Returning to Kamino, the Bad Batch learn that an Empire has replaced the Republic and meet Omega, a young female defective clone. Soon after, Admiral Tarkin arrives to evaluate the clone's viability, and sends the Bad Batch to eliminate a group of insurgents on Onderon. When they discover that these insurgents are actually fugitives under Saw Gerrera, who refuse to submit to the new Empire the Bad Batch abandon their mission and return for Omega, but are arrested for treason. Tarkin has Crosshair's inhibitor chip programming enhanced, turning him against his squad mates and forcing the Bad Batch and Omega to flee without him. And that is the episode in a nutshell. So, let's talk about that opening sequence, because I think that opening sequence is probably, for me, it's the high-water mark of the whole episode. <laughs> well, it does introduce them with a bang. Absolutely. It's meant to be. It's that's that's how we know where we are. That that we're still in the same we're still in the same spot. That we're still invested in these these characters, and in a way, regardless of of their personalities and and if we like them personally or not, the bad batch are, are representative of all the goods and Rex too. But you know we'll get that we'll get there. But representative of all the good things that those clones were. Yeah, because now those clones are stormtroopers, and that was yeah, one of the hardest true. things to watch for me. Honestly, like emotionally, yeah. was watching the clones like herd people, push people around. You know, like be stormtroopers, act like stormtroopers, and you'll notice that very rarely do they take their helmets off anymore. No, they and don't. I think that's that's on purpose. Yeah, there's a few things that I kind of picked up on, sort of this. And we're getting ahead of ourselves, but this transitory, you know, Grand Army of the Republic to the New Order, particularly around Tarkin and his assessment of the clones. And, you know, later on in the episode, he makes a very poignant statement to uh, Prime Minister Lamassu about testing the viability of the clones. And, and uh, you know, he he mentions the uh, the economics of the whole thing, and Lama yes. Lama Su protests how you know the programming of the clones is far superior to any conscript. But you know, for those of us who are steeped in legends, you know, and I even put it, a, I made a note here. I'm like, Tarkin's interaction with Prime Minister Lama Su, are we actually seeing the foundations for the Tarkin doctrine? You know, the Tarkin doctrine. Yes. So the, the 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 basics of the Tarkin doctrine essentially. Uh, boil down to overwhelming uh, shows of military force as opposed to actual military might. So you just overwhelm people with numbers and that, that continual show of force creates an element of fear. And so that rule by fear, which was collectively known as the Tarkin doctrine. Yeah. yeah. It, it raises so, so many questions, but it also answers a couple too. Yeah. Like, no, well, sir, yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> if really you does. go with the fact that they're phasing out clones, and they're just going to take, you know, Joe Blow off the street to sign up and be part of the Empire. That's going to factor into where you see in Solo, where they're like, you know, sign up today. That's right. And well, that's going to get you. Say, he does say conscription, which yeah. is very different than, hey, sign up today. Yeah, that's yeah. like you're getting you drafted. Know, certain certain places are, are sign up, sign up now. <laughs> 
I think, you know, with, uh, and this is just me going off into pure speculation territory, but that's part of the the fun of the show and how we like to interconnect all of the Mm -hmm. properties. So as Andy was just saying with Solo, I mean, when you look at Corellia and Corellia's place within the larger galactic empire that they were a major ship building planet. So, you know, was Corellia afforded maybe some, you know, pleasantries or or niceties that you know other planets in the empire were not and so you provide us with ships we'll yeah, give you a bit of yeah right so i mean how else could you know criminal elements like um oh my god what's her name <laughs> the uh the underground lady that was basically oh, had all the kids yes. uh oh forgive me the so, weird worm lady yeah thing. exactly so i mean how are how are how is the criminal elements like that allowed to operate so brazenly open you know, if there wasn't some kind of arrangement already in place or... Certainly there's money to be made off that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But here's another fun point for you. The clones, through the Clone Wars and everything, they're excellent shots. That's true. Once you phase them out and get Joe Blow off the street, you can see why in A New Hope they miss every shot. Exactly. Conscripts who are typically... I mean, not soldiers. We can use our own history and look at the the Russians during uh, the Russian conscripts of the Second World War were just not well trained. You know, literally, what's uh, what's the the sniper movie with uh, the Russian sniper movie where the you see them lining up and it's like one man takes the rifle, the other man takes the bullets. You know, right. when the first man falls, the second man picks up the rifle. <laughs> it's right. just like holy crap. But again, like we were talking about. But that's an active wartime. And I mean, from the Empire's perspective, I, I I would presume that, you know, Palpatine's up on high thinking that he's achieved his galactic peace. But like as Tarkin and Lamassu allude to in their in their uh, conversation, is they're going to need troops to maintain order. Yeah, you need that security force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you're going to create a police state, you need the police to man it. That's right. As you may or may not know, uh, as an action figure collector, I'm a huge fan of all the the named clones. Mm-hmm. I think they're cool. So we get introduced to a new one in this episode. It's uh, Clone Captain Gray, who is uh, Depa's, I guess, her, her clone uh, commander, her Rex, I and, guess. And uh, I could not figure out the unit based on his paint job. No, I didn't either. At all. Nope. At all. <laughs> yeah. I noticed that this episode made a point of like... And I don't know if it was just a like a saving money thing, but there was a lot of like plain Jane phase three troopers. I mean, we see the Coruscant Guard on Camino, which is another point I want to talk about. Yeah, um, yeah. But largely, other than Gray, they're all just plain phase three. There's no individuality. There's nothing there. No, that's and I think that's hundred percent on purpose because nothing looks closer to a, a stormtrooper than a phase pure three white plain. You know, and also in that in the and I know I'm jumping ahead again, but also in that uh, cafeteria, the food fight scene, yeah. if you will, all, they all have that bog standard, marine cut square. No, they do. None of yeah. them are blonde or facial tattoos. Like those clones are fresh, right? Like, yeah. You know. Yeah. And now that the inhibitor chip has gone, all the free will is gone. These are these are stormtroopers now. Well, I find it interesting that, you know, there was still such a sizable amount of clone force on Kamino, which is very suggestive that the cloners were producing clones up to and including the final days of the war. And certainly there's still infants in chambers there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ongoing thing. That's right. Lama Sue says we had a contract. Yeah. And to keep producing clones like the end of the war isn't isn't good money for her. No, it's not. Or him. Sorry, Lama Sue's. 
So the planet is Kaller. So I've actually written it down as the Battle of Kaller. Do we know anything about sure. Kaller? I, I don't think we've I heard do. this. Um, so this this scene is very different from the Kanan Jarrus comic book, okay. which was the only previous version, I guess, of what, what was his canon version of Order 66. Okay. And it differs a little bit in that the war was over. So I think, and, and we're going back to like 2015, 16. Okay. Around the time between Last Jedi and Force Awakens when this comic came out. Yeah. So a lot of the ideas that, you know, even solidified in the, the final season of Clone Wars and in the, and the rest of the sequel movies hadn't even right. conceived of yet. And so the timeline's a little skewed. Order 66 hasn't occurred yet, but the war is over. Dippa's squad has won the day. Oh, and okay. her and Caleb and Gray and another clone that's named Styles are all sitting around a campfire. Right. When Gray goes up to ostensibly take a piss and he gets the Order 66. And uh, Deppa manages to just, you know, Styles and Gray attack and he, she deflects a few blaster bolts and right. ostensibly the same scene run Caleb and he reluctantly does, uh, gets away. But it's it's very different in terms of the timeline. Well, I mean, because presumably it's, the it's the, at night. Uh, the war has already ended, and the bad batch there are, are no not droids, there. <laughs> you know, but so I think the timeline has been corrected, though. Okay. Because we know, like that, when Palpatine gives the order, like we see the other side of like how season seven went from Clone Wars through Revenge of the Sith. Yes. And then now this one is coming through Revenge of the Sith into the, what's next. Yes. And so they're both like they, they you know, it's like a like a DNA chain, they, they're spiraling through one another. And I think it's really, I'm really excited at the politics of this. This is a story, regardless of the characters that are telling the story, this is a part of the lore that I really wanted to know. Yeah, we've um, talked about that before. You you and I both agreed, you know, the the joke about who wants to watch a two-hour movie about what happens in the Senate chamber, and we were both like, uh, over here. <laughs> yeah, so I'm super, you know, when the Tarkin and, and the Prime Minister are talking, that stuff is is. is keeps me wrapped i, I really yep. like that stuff i do i like so, that yeah, as this, well this version of of caleb's escape is it's super close it actually gives him a little more reason to be why he's like he is when we meet him in rebels well that was something that i had picked up on too and i thought back to that first episode of rebels where clones are introduced and kanan jarris is like he's not afraid of them but he's like his cautionary do you know how dangerous they are like yeah. he's really concerned about like do you know what they did He's not like out to get them, but he is nope. like super cautious. Right, exactly. And for good reason. That scene was really good too. The way he, um, you know, Hunter's still protecting him. Yeah. We see, you know, Crosshair repeat the good good soldiers follow orders. Thing. How many like, times did he do that throughout the show? Yeah, twice. At least, at least twice. Twice, maybe caught. three. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and it's a struggle with him. Every like it continues to wear at him, like to eat at him. Like he just can't. And I mean, there was, there was the joke in the, uh, I don't know if it's this episode or the next one, where Tech makes a joke to uh, Wrecker about, oh, that's your programming coming through. And he's like, don't tell, don't make jokes about that. But really, you know, yeah. that is the programming coming through. Absolutely. And it's, it's like, and, and Lauren and I talked about this, it's like, not only does the inhibitor chip make them turn on the Jedi, but it's like a reset, right? It's yeah. like, it's like, it's like, um you know, you still have all your training and memories and stuff, but you're just day one clone reset to all your programming. Like your basic programming is now you're back to, you know, soldier form. Like if you evolved. You're compliant. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. It's like one, like one a, thing though. Like I, a factory I reset. Jump. Yeah. Yeah. A factory reset. Exactly. One thing I found interesting in the scene where Palpatine was like 
probably way ahead of myself. His now. big hollow uh, projection. Even the big speech. Yeah. We're, we're tracking through. Plucked Revenge directly from Revenge of the Sith. There was, a, there was a significant number of clones not cheering. I don't know if you guys noticed that. I did not. There was a lot of clones cheering. And a lot just staying there. Was there. A lot, there, was, there was, you know, a smaller percentage of clones just kind of looking around going, well, maybe, maybe. Yeah. What the hell? We see that Order 66 is delivered by radio. So you have to wonder, like, did only the commanders get it and then they disseminated it down to the troops? Or did every rank-and-file troop get it directly on their comm? It makes sense. Um, you know? Because even Tech was talking about this encoded comm channel. This encoded comm traffic. The comm channel is repeating one directive. Execute Order 66. Right, and they all get it. And, That's what I mean. Like, even Wrecker is like, oh, I heard it, but I just ignored it. Cause it right. You know, what is that? I don't know what that is. What's Order 66? So there's there's a couple things that come up in this episode that I actually, uh, you know, and I wrote it as plot armor. Where uh, This is where, and I hate to, to get right into it like this early in the show, but this is where some of my disappointment comes in because of that plot armor there was such legacy and such there was a lot of rules established in that final arc of the clone wars i was about to say order 66 no that's our show <laughs> <laughs> but in our show we dove in really hard and and i mean we we analyzed that stuff and i mean order 66 you have this this point where between rex and jesse in their squaring off and they make a point to be very on the nose about Order 66 was to terminate the Jedi as enemies of the state and any clone who disobeyed. That's right. So why wasn't the Bad Batch summarily executed when they went back to Kamino? Because Crosshair uh, filed a report that said that they disobeyed. A means to an end, I think. This, I, is, I, where I, this is where I write plot armor, right? Like, we can't have our main characters, you know, getting off in the first episode. But it's just like, oh, could you not have come up with a more convincing way to have them get out of it? I mean, if the, the, and I want to talk about inhibitor chips just a little bit more to, to maybe sort of justify that. Cause tech makes a thing about, you know, well, maybe it's our, you know, our defectiveness makes us immune to that. Does that mean crosshair is actually the most pure genetically speaking? Probably. I have a theory about crosshair too, especially because of what he's wearing at the end of the episode. But I think he might even be a clone template for, for the, the death troopers. For Death Troopers, that's an interesting they're, they're thought. They're all like really tall. And they lean, are, yeah, and tall and lean that guys. Armor looks very similar to the armor they wear, with green eyes. And yeah, stuff. I made a note on that too about you know the, yeah. the 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 proto stormtrooper armor, right? Because yeah. maybe maybe the instead of moving forward through like you know cloning the average clone and just filling your army with that at a yep. very ex, you know, clearly expensive, it's you know, and we're reminded again that this is like a, a world that's. That's about money, uh, which, you know, for what it's worth, The Last Jedi tried to hammer home and uh, is explored in, in The Mandalorian as well. That You know, there's a there's a price to war. Right. Maybe that's, <laughs> I lost myself. That's okay. Maybe that's what we're getting at, though. Maybe. You mentioned uh, talking about DNA a little bit earlier, and I just want to talk about the DNA of the show itself. And I, I, this is interesting. The, the opening, the title cards open, and it's ostensibly in another episode of The Clone Wars, right down to Newsflash. You know, yes. the battle and of red. color. Yeah, exactly. It's still so still red from the last, the last season of clone wars. And then they, of course, they, want, it, they it, want you to be able to watch this back to back. Yeah. Last. Yes. So that was kind of neat that sort of talking about the DNA, the lineage of the show, just letting us know as viewers, like this is where it comes Direct from. And, connection. Yeah. And, so that's kind of, this cool. is the reason that Caleb doom is super important at the beginning of this, because we're now we're, yeah, this is a huge a huge story that's going on in the background and it's all 
so linked together that started you know starting with the the clone wars and moving up through rebels and and we talked about how that was like the spiritual successor and now we have something that's going to be you know yeah. forged into the middle of that's those right. things and we get to see the evolution of characters we never thought we'd get to see you know that, is, that's really is the uh, appearance of caleb doom in this just a fan service moment to let us know that there is that connection or are we going to see him again i think he's done i agree with You've that got your connection to him and now move on yeah in the no, bad I, I, direction. I, I, honestly it's it's the uh the prologue if you yeah will. yeah yeah and it's it's to uh yeah it's to remind us exactly where we are and how close how closely tied we are to the to the things that we're invested in already yeah the story we're going to meet rex we're probably going to meet ahsoka you know dave filoni doesn't f around i wouldn't be <laughs> i wouldn't be surprised if they're you know in a background scene somewhere just passing through as as uh as cut said to uh to hunter when they'd mentioned about uh you know rex told us and he's like what you saw rex hey i passed through here yesterday like oh I missed him by a day it's like that's awesome and you I, know, you know it's like the pokeroo kind of, i missed him again yeah, exactly <laughs> pokeroo was here and i missed him again those two might be the same guy yeah really <laughs> So the Battle of Kalar is essentially won. The Clone War is over. And, uh, you know, Hunter tries to help, uh, you know, poor little Caleb Doom, who's now on the run for the next 10 years or so. And he tunes Crosshair. Oh, big time. <laughs> showing that like a Padawan against even an, ex- an, an accelerated, like uh, genetically modified aberrant clone with special abilities is still right. like... A, a serious serious opponent that's right so that brings us back to uh going back to camino and they talk about you know oh we're going home uh i found that interesting that you know this kind of raised the question for me because it's not really answered in the clone wars either it's like are we supposed to believe that when they're not conducting operations that clone force 99 actually lives on camino that they're not garrisoned somewhere in the galaxy like on coruscant or yeah somewhere? well you know the jedi don't even know about them Right. So they seem to have some sort of link more to the Kamoan. The Kaminoans. Yeah. Kaminoans. Than, than to the actual, you know, they still serve the R. They do the, they do the dirty work and stuff, but there's, there's an, you know, they live there. They, there's an inexorable link that's sort of deeper. Or maybe, maybe when part of the aspect we haven't seen, maybe everybody's garrisoned there and they just rotate in and out. You know, that's entirely possible. Heal and, I mean, maybe they just rotate in and out. We just didn't get that level of detail, perhaps. There is this element of clones as property, and it comes up in the, it comes up in this episode, but it's also come up in the Clone Wars about damaging mm-hmm. damaging our clones or damaging my clones. Like, they're not people, right. they're, they're property. So, you know, on that level, sure, it makes sense. You know, send them, you know, take your car to the garage. You're going to send your clone back for a checkup. You know what I mean? <laughs> Make sure he's still and, doing. And and even we see that when there's defectiveness in the in the late seasons with uh, Echo and uh, or sorry with Fives and um, you know they bring them back to Camino first before they go to Coruscant before they go before the Jedi or the That's Republic right. scientists yeah. they go right back to Camino as you know like send your PlayStation back to Sony don't send it to don't take the it back to where, where you, you re- to where you bought it yeah 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 right so now we get back to Camino and uh, things are clearly different. You see, good to see that there was a mix of Camino clones, the, the the white and gray guys. So they were, you know, essentially the the garrison force for Camino. Right. But then you have the Coruscant Guard, and immediately, you know, as the viewer, I'm asking the same question: What is the Coruscant Guard doing there? 
we see that uh, Jedi carried by on a stretcher, dropping their lightsaber from underneath the sheet. And I wonder, you know, what was that? Was that Jedi just in the wrong place at the wrong time? Was he or she there to pick up a new batch of clones when the order went down? Or was he right. there with Tarkin? Like, there's a cool, there's a side story there somewhere. That, there's a side story. I yeah. To, I looked for a little bit about the uh, lightsaber, but couldn't really find. Yeah, it didn't visually it wasn't recognizable to me like as like oh i know who that belongs to although when i paused it and zoomed in on it the it's clearly a female and the hand is purplish yeah so i i who knows we maybe. lost a lot of people that day true but are they just maybe you know bring this one in for more genetic material that we can work with well that's another question that's going to come up in this episode too because i know hank and i before you'd watch the episode i know we all sort of talked about it but um should we jump right to Omega right now then? Well, you'll meet her in a We're going minute. to in a few minutes, yeah. Yeah. A little bit more about the Course on Guard. If you don't remember, the Course on Guard were the, the force that were led by Clone Commander Fox. Bastard. That treasonous bastard. Are you miserable bastard? <laughs> He's still on my bad guy shelf. Isn't He's he? not even on my Clone Wars shelf. He's on my bad guy shelf. Oh, I stuck him with all the other named clones. He might be on the end though, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Right, so, uh, yeah, and this there's my note about plot armor. Why weren't they summarily executed? Okay, so Crosshair files that report stating as much, and the precedence for execution was established by Rex and Jesse in the final episodes of The Clone Wars. They're, I think they're cutting them a break. Uh, yeah, maybe. Because maybe. Uh, Hunter, he says, you know, he's dead. And he's like, right. well, where, where is he? He's Where's like, the body? You know, he's yeah. like, down there. He's like, well, why aren't you looking down? Yeah, when people fall, usually you look down, not across. And he's like, I don't want to look down. Yeah, not sometimes. all of us do. Yeah, sometimes you just don't need to see it. So technically, he says he completed Order 66, but Crosshairs doesn't believe him. So maybe they're giving him the benefit of a doubt But even the, because of that. Even the banter between them where it's like, we don't even know what the Order is. And Crosshair, like, as soon as you said that, like, okay, you just you just hit the criteria for execution. Yeah. You just challenge that Order. And that's, like you said, Hank, he struggles with that you know, good soldiers follow orders. Right, right. So he's having, you know, think of his crisis of faith as being, you know, a hundred times lighter than Rex's. But let's just let's just put this in, in context for a second here. If any of them were going to flip, could it be anybody other than Crosshair? No. He's the coldest, no. most calculating of all of them. Right. You know what if I mean? anybody was going to be the villain moving forward, and I had said that five minutes into the episode yep. to Lauren, I was like, you know, I mean, I could see this. I didn't even think it was going to happen this early in the in the thing, but I could see him separating from the group and becoming an actual viable villain. You know, one, you know, versus the team. So, I, I, absolutely. Did anybody go back and rewatch the four episode arc of the Clone Wars for them? I did not. I'm going to make a point to do that because I just want to see if he's just as cold in that. Um, foreshadowing. Yeah, as he is in this episode because I don't really remember that much about his character. I watched it and enjoyed it, but I my brain was so on the end game. Yeah. Uh, and even more so when I was watching the middle arc with Ahsoka, just my brain being on the, like, I knew what was coming. Yeah. And that's all I could think yep. about. So I actually should revisit the first two arcs of the seventh season. So the guys, uh, they talk their way through it. They kind of, they kind of fake it and uh, go back to their quarters before they're, and then there's some more interaction between Hunter and Crosshair about, you know, what really happened. And mm-hmm. they kind of, there's gloss. that one part where they, they basically is like, is, you know, 
does anybody these clones act different to you and and uh tech checks them with the hey what's your division number and the guy you know yeah just kind of along yeah know. like Very shrugs them off for like thing to do just shoulder check them yep. and go you know yeah and they're like oh i guess we'll just go back to our our barracks then and then the idea that you know in that scene where the the five of them aren't wearing helmets yeah every single other clone is that's true yeah. and i think that's to to hammer that 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 idea home yeah very much so individuality has been removed that's right is it the uh the scene with the emperor before the the mess hall yeah i think he comes it is, in yeah. he says yes, mandatory is, yes. meeting at uh right so we get the uh announcement from we get the emperor's big hollow tech is like anybody uh think that they're not uh programmed now the regs, I like that how he refers to them as regs, as in like regular, regular That's clones. Right. And it's almost, I would say it's derisive, except it's coming from Tech, who, by the way, is already my favorite character in the show. Well, I thought it was obvious. Tech? Hands down, Tech is my favorite character. Yeah, I like Wrecker a lot. Tech is that guy that has, he's the autistic kid that has no filter. Yeah. He'll say anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what? He doesn't, you know, all of his like, I thought it was obvious. Because to him, he he, he does. He thinks it's obvious. Why? What do you mean you didn't notice that? <laughs> and I love that there's an innocence in his the way that he, it's completely innocent the way he delivers it. <laughs> it's like he already knows. He expects you know too. Yeah, which just makes it so funny. Right when he says anything, he says pretty much. So yeah, we're introduced to Omega in this scene as we see the young human female standing beside uh, Nala Se. Hello. Who, if you remember from uh, the Clone Wars, was the chief. Chief medical officer or chief medical, medical scientist, or chief medical like scientist, I think is her actual title. Yeah, and so just off the hop, I just it took me a second before I realized it, but uh, you guys realize that Nalase and Omega are both wearing the same uniform. Yeah, not uniform colors but and everything, right down to the little uh, circlet chain with the uh, brooch Head thing here. on her head. That's right, and so. those colors are the same color palette that the Bad Batch is wearing too, which is gray, black, and white. Or sorry, gray, red, and white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all yeah. So this is the first time we've seen. And she's very much got a New Zealand accent too when she starts talking. My name's Omega. Mm-hmm. Do we think that she is from the same uh, genetic material as Django Fett? She's mixed. <laughs> How deep do we want to go into this theory right now? Uh, yeah, well, that's what we're here for, man. Uh-huh. There's a couple scenes yeah, where I she's think, hiding uh, in the shadows, and it looks similar. Yeah, she's got the similar facial features as. An older clone. 100% that she's from that genetic line. She's just a female version. And I think that they've tinkered with her DNA. I think so as well. Um, and I think that it, there's another interesting thing here. Uh, her hair looks strikingly similar to a young Palpatine. Mm. Strikingly similar. Oh, like uh, episode uh, one. Episode one Palpatine. That's interesting too. Yeah. yeah. And so. Is this Especially early in light of the things that happen later on? In this episode. Yeah, I mean, cloning is such a well, even I was going to say just the larger Star Wars itself, how prevalent cloning is as a as a theme throughout the entire saga, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially when you and get I, to the I, end. I mean, that be, might be a huge reach, but I also feel like that Nala say has, has a, more of a sense of ownership or parenthood towards this clone. I and... also felt that way, not because of anything that Nala say did, but particularly with Omega, uh, is it this episode where she's she has a moment where she hides away on the ship? It's in the second episode, so I don't want to get too far ahead, but right, right, right. she has that moment where she's crying and she takes the, the she takes it off and she never puts it back on after that. And yeah. I'm like, she's crying. Is that is that to suggest that she has a closer 
relationship with Nalase than we're led to believe? Like there was a, a parentage thing there? Nalase has a big moment and I missed it the first time watching it through. So when we yeah. get there, okay. I'll let you, I'll, I'll hit you with that and right. see if you guys caught it too. Nalase has a big moment. All right. So we get the, uh, we get Sheev's big order about, uh, for a new society. And then uh, everybody's like, oh, what the hell do we do now? All right. So after the uh, the sequence with the emperor, there's the interaction. They meet Omega in the hallway again. Yeah. And they're like, let's go. Can't talk. Yeah. 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 So then we get to the, is this where we get to the cafeteria, right? I believe so. Yeah. So in the cafeteria, here's another one. So the cafeteria scene's kind of neat. I find it, it's, this is again, this is more plot armor for me. And this is maybe part of why I'm a little nonplussed with the whole episode is there's that interaction as they're trying to have their meal and they're getting, you know, they're they're already ostracized by the regular clones who the one guy shoves his way by and makes a point to call them the sad batch. And I'm like, this is so uncharacteristic of the clones after everything we've gone through over seven seasons of Clone Wars where it's a brotherhood. And I'm just going to, I want to go back and I want to talk about 99 because this is important. 99 is the namesake of Clone Force 99. Do you remember 99? The clone maintenance worker? 100. They revered that guy revered him and even though he was just a simple maintenance clone nobody gave him flack nobody ever called him out for his deformities it is so uncharacteristic that these guys would do what they did in the mess hall given the namesake clone force 99 is named after clone 99 and how he was treated i just don't get it and it just I'll it see, took me I'll out of it i'll see you there and i'll also i'll also i'll raise you that 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 was one single idiot yeah. And so that it's, I guess it's a little more of an argument for some individuality still maintaining there. Yeah. And although I'd say 99% of yeah. the clones, yeah, yeah. No I pun intended. Completely sympathized with and enjoyed and liked. There's that 1%, like fox. Yeah, I was going to say there's always a fox. <laughs> so perhaps this is a fox. For every and, wolf, there's a fox. Yeah. There it is. There it is. Yeah. That's the quote of the day. <laughs> so I, I can, right. I, I'll accept one idiot being an idiot, especially because okay. it sets up, sure, uh, sets up a pretty cool scene. It does. It does. So we have the mess hall, uh, the fight in the mess hall. Oh my lord! And how is that? Which is started by Omega, by Omega, which is great because right, she's we're like, starting to see more and more. Friends. She's one of them. Yeah, that's right. Like she so breaks it now, up, and it's, it's important that that idiot clone calls her one of them and then the next thing that happens is she reacts like one of them yeah that's true <laughs> uh so now can we talk, we'll focus on omega for a minute here because hmm. i'm curious to know and of course we won't know until the series plays out if she is subjected to the same cloning process as the other clones is she subjected to the accelerated growth that the other clones are is she going to grow up before our eyes over the course of the show it's that's a great speculation um she's certainly she's certainly very new in terms yeah. of of the next episode especially but that could also be a regular you know 12 year olds or well she's more probably like eight six to eight but um she's been trapped on camino her whole life she has no idea so what's that outside that cloistered and stuff but um I mean, ostensibly, she maybe she's even slower growing because 
I don't know. They always talk about five clones that were created for this. And 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 even Tarkin makes a comment, is that all that remains? Like there were more. How many are left? And she says five. Five. And and yeah. everybody, and you're meant to think that Echo is one of them. But he's not. In fact, so much so that I had forgotten what happened to uh about him being Echo captured. Echo Minor. Right. And when I saw him, I was just like, Oh, that's one of the new Bad Batch guys. Where's Echo? And I was looking right past him. Yeah. <laughs> kind and of threw him. It took, Lauren was like, no, no, reel yourself back in. That's Echo. And yeah, that's like, him. Oh, that's horrible. Oh, poor Echo. Yeah. Yeah. yeah with with his uh, Lobot prosthesis. Totally Lobot prosthesis. Yeah. There's another Easter egg. Lobot prosthesis. Yeah. I quite actually, I like that. Perfectly good explanation for why his chip didn't go off. Right. Because most of his brain was friggin' destroyed. I love how they uh, they fit his helmet into the prosthesis, how it connects to that. I thought that's Fantastic. beautifully done. Actually, while we're talking about that, let's just talk about their their armor for a second. At least their uh, their initial appearances. I can't help but think Hunter uh, when Hunter's helmet is off, and th- think about this for a second when you're when you're watching it, the way that he talks, the way that he looks, his thought process, the fact that he's enhanced senses. Is he not John Rambo? I was he's, thinking more he's 100% solid snake. John Rambo. That's not lost on me. No. Oh yeah, that's great, Andy. Solid What's snake that? from Metal Gear. Oh yeah. So maybe uh-huh. he's a hybrid of of some of those archetypes. Mm-hmm. No, and 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 it's also it's that's you know if it's fan service, it gives us what we've got is like you said, it's the turtles dynamic. Uh, I know that. <laughs> but so they're also picking you know things from like Rambo from the eighties and right. like Sniper from the from the nineties. And, and if you're for those of you who aren't familiar with what we're talking about, the other day uh, I was on a fan group that had showed a picture of the Bad Batch and the comment was, come on guys, you know this is just the 2014 Ninja Turtles. And uh, so if you if you contrast the 2014 Ninja Turtles up against the Bad Batch, you know, where Hunter is, is Leonardo and Wrecker is Raphael and Tech is Donatello, I guess that makes... Uh, it would be Michelangelo. It would be Michelangelo, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Kawabunga! <laughs> I just found it funny because it's like, oh, oh my it's God. Great. Yeah, yeah. This episode of Fandom Power is brought to you in part by CollectorsPlatoon.ca. CollectorsPlatoon.ca, organizers of the annual Toronto Collectors Platoon Toy Show. Check out CollectorsPlatoon.ca, the Canadian home of Ian's display accessories, specializing in action figure stands for figures of all scales. Visit CollectorsPlatoon.ca today. I hope that there's like uh, some more, because Wrecker's starting to get more playful with the memory. Like he's... does face washes and stuff to them and you know yells at them and stuff he he reminds me a lot of the thing yeah and i, I really like that dynamic he re- and zeb he reminds me a lot of zeb although zeb's not nearly as sort of dumb or that's I, true yeah record's not dumb he's very innocent yeah yeah of course of course he just he's got a very specialized role and and he's yeah. very aware of what that is and he and wants he to blow it, stuff up in the, yep. in the in the cafeteria i like to break things because yep. i like to break things <laughs> exactly I love Wrecker's armor. I love the uh, the paint scheme of his helmet, how it's evocative of that arachnoid uh, separatist general. I can't think of his name. Yeah. Way back in like episode one of the Clone That's Wars. Right. He was the guy for the first the, arc. Uh, yeah. Orabash 99. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of Orabesh in this episode and the next. A lot. I didn't I, hone in on it. I did not either. I was tempted to, but it was pretty late when I was putting my notes together. I'm like, maybe for another time. That being said, fans, if you guys picked up on the Orabash, you can always uh, drop us a line on uh, any of our social media and, and uh, fill us in on what that uh, what the Orabash actually says, because we love all that stuff. So after the mess hall fight, 
So they go back to their quarters. They start sort of talking about what's going on. They make some overt remarks, some <laughs> not very kind remarks about the Empire and about Tarkin, just in time for the door to open and for him to hear it. <laughs> um, well, that's after the that's after the because uh, they're on their way back to the barracks. Yeah. When when they're asked to go see. Oh, that's right. Uh, they're supposed to be say at summoned the, at the training facility. Summoned to see the prime minister or something. By clones even further. Right. And told to go right to the. Uh, right to the you know the training facility. and they go directly to training where are you going That's you're right. due on the floor right so we're where, not we're not in trouble is up on his high horse there right tarkin kind of gets off on this moment was he's watching because i at one point i actually question on my second time around i'm like is he just is he trying to execute them is he trying to kill them well, he's trying to prove a point he's trying I to guess prove that so. they're not as good as he thinks they aren't right that's true so and if they could be an asset like well, this is resources, it. Resources. If these things are actually an asset, yeah. And this is where I'm. I, I'm still struggling with the whole. The cat's out of the bag. We didn't execute Order sixty six, and by the existing law, we should be put to death. On paper, perhaps the Empire knows, and this is why Tarkin's here and not somebody else that we've never seen before. Right. Even you, Lauren. Yeah, yeah. Right. Tarkin's here because maybe the Emperor knows that one of the five clones. And now we're going to go to the five. Yeah. It's not the four, it's something the five special. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's something more. And maybe he's trying to elicit that more out of one of the ones that he's testing. Right. So That's that he can, theory. he can dial in on who is it. Right. No, I hear you. And then, you know, when you put it that way as the emperor who is, mm-hmm. uh, I know it's kind of a throwaway line in the, in the rise of Skywalker, how he's back. You know, the Emperor has come back, and but he's the one who's been pulling the strings all along from the beginning. All along. Yeah. And so I think, you know, the if you don't pick up on that over the course of the, the nine films, it's, unfortunately, it's not, I don't think they spend enough time or enough emphasis on that, but that is the underlying thread is that he was always, I don't want to say in charge, but he was always in charge. Right. Yeah. Right. So uh, go to training. <laughs> and uh, interesting how they're they're uh, training blasters. It never even occurred to me that yeah we've we've been in this room or similar rooms before with the uh, clone yes, cadets, have. with the clone cadets and similar situations, right? And with the arc trooper training of the when we got we've got the first arc of uh, fives and the uh, the rest of the arc troopers. That's right. Yeah, they were they were also a defective. They were you know they were the worst performing group and. Yeah, so we we get through the the uh, t- I don't want to say the the dry fire or the test fire the the simulation with the uh, training weapons goes off yes. uh, really well, and so Tarkin Tarkin decides that he's going to up the stakes and he orders the uh, the prime minister to switch to live fire, and that's where the prime minister makes his protest about you know damaging my facility and damaging my clones, and so right. again the clones as property, and there's a legacy line there. The Empire will compensate. Yes. Which is exactly right. what Vader says yeah. to Calrissian. That's right. So if we're not treated to probably one of the biggest Easter eggs of the episode when the floors open up and uh, we get very much, no doubt in my mind, if you've, no if you've looked, uh, if you've followed our show and you know how much we <laughs> talked about them in The Mandalorian, we are introduced to phase two Dark Troopers. See now, I I was thinking that these might be like a like a Mark One or even a prototype. Yep. Certainly, regardless of what they are, they are what they are. They're definitely dark troopers, and they're de- definitely early models. But the yep. thing about this scene that drove me nuts was that we actually had dark troopers. Yeah. Before we had stormtroopers. 
You know, to me, you know, again, I've, I've talked about this on other shows where we talked about the spirit versus the actual. And, you know, I've always said, as long as the spirit of the whatever it is you're trying to do is maintained, I'm okay with mm-hmm. it. And really mm-hmm. having droids, I mean, you know, Star Wars, you know, for, for three movies was about, you know, living creatures versus droids. So it doesn't surprise me that, you know, the, the good guys would have been working on a droid solution of their own. So I, no, I can absolutely. buy into it. Absolutely. And you got to think like, this is a, a, I'm having trouble with the word today, fellas. Come and knowing. Come and knowing, yeah. Come and knowing facility. Right. Tarkin didn't just come in and put those droids there. For no, the they were already there. Right? Yep. So, if they're you know, integrated that's the, cyborgs. Maybe that's the, maybe that's plot armor, but maybe they stole the tech or the idea, but the idea that you would train your troops against droids or something, you know, is absolutely 100%. It tracks 100%. Absolutely. Star Wars is rife with that. Even Vader trained with droids. Absolutely. But if you look at Echo and how far he goes, like with all his, like Tech makes a point of saying, you know, you're not even that much clone anymore. Yeah, That's you're right. More you're mechanical. more, uh, so another legacy line, yeah. you're more yep. machine than man. Yep. So it's no stretch. Statistically to speaking. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's no stretch to think <laughs> that the Kevin Owens are now like integrating yeah. clone parts into you know, machines. We've just spent three years fighting droids. You can't tell me that the architect of the clone army is not studying droid technology to see if there's something there. I can take this know? piece and I can take this piece and this will make this. Our own history says that, you know, captured enemy tech is always studied, you know, and scrutinized very heavily. Well, Operation Paperclip. I wonder uh, if Palpatine was sort of sitting back a little going, whichever side actually wins my puppet war. Is going to be the, the troops will use moving forward. You know that that makes sense to me. Why wouldn't you? I mean, path of least resistance, right? Yeah. And I mean, droids are are easily controllable, probably more so than a living force, as we see with the clones who are you know capable of the full range of emotion and and questioning morality and orders. <laughs> and I almost wonder why he didn't go with droids. <laughs> I, I, yes, a, a little, but uh, it might be a money thing too because. We, we do see um, that the banking clan is involved and that you, you see more financial sort of burden. Even, even if it's a little bit, you see more financial burden on the separatist side. It must be more expensive to maintain robots than clones or even a conscripted force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait we're, a minute. Yeah. We're, it... we're, uh, I think we're off the rails a little. Did I skip bit. over uh, AZ? Uh, uh, yes. Yeah, because oh, in the fight, there's a Echo looks up and sees Tarkin, and him and Tarkin have a personal event issue. Like oh, there's a one on one thing that happened from that Skeko Minor bullshit. I missed and that. So he's paying attention to Tarkin when Tex says, "Echo, look out!" and the guy, boom, with the tray, and he wakes up in the medical bay. Right. Yes, that's right. I that's completely forgot that. <laughs> I was pretty tired last night when I was doing this, so my no, apol- my apologies for that. After the training scenario, Clone Force 99 is dispatched to Onderon. We get to Onderon. We get off. So this is cool. Descriptive Audio told me that the name of the ship is the Havoc Marauder. Havoc Marauder. Which I thought is like a super cool name. Everybody's got to have a ship. You know, it's it's a kind of Star Wars norm. If you, it, It's going to be a recurring character, obviously. You don't name something right, that's not going to. Right, if there's gonna, a main ship, it generally has a It name. has a name, yeah. So the, the Havoc Marauder. Which, according to the second episode, is a modified Omicron attack shuttle, which is the same shuttle that uh, Maul used 
to escape the uh, Star Destroyer. All right. Getting to Onderon. So now they've passed the, the test, Tarkin's test. And so his final test is, all right, I'm going to dispatch you to Onderon to eliminate a rogue separatist faction that's still you know, refusing to lay down their weapons. That's Only right. to find out that it's a bunch of civilians. And uh, the civilians are led by uh, none other than Saw Gerrera, who is uh, a nice evolution to the animation model of this character, where he's, you know, he's not uh, Forrest Whitaker yet, but he's certainly, yeah, I mean, the hair is a little more nappy and longer, the, you know, he just looks more grizzled. There's another moment just before they meet up face to face where uh, Crosshair has different members of the group in their, in their sights and, and. 25 like, no, there's children and records yeah. like what are we going to do i thought we were supposed to smash droids and text tell them there are no droids that's right and uh crosshairs just just give the order just give the order well this and is the a... whole time if you notice he's he's on the least dangerous person in the whole group he's got his thing right on the forehead of a little old lady yep i made a note about that i said you know crosshair has no compunction about killing civilians and challenges hunter's leadership Mm-hmm. You know, and Absolutely. I mean, that that comes up a few times, this whole challenge of, you know, are you the right person for the job? But you're right. There's a moment of, uh, there's a whole dialogue portion where uh, Saw Guerrera, who's, I don't know who wrote the dialogue for him, but it's super well written where he he challenges sort of their, the belief of the, the Clone War may be over, but the Civil War is about to begin. And he sort of challenges right. the whole like notion of what it means to be a, a person, a civilian or a citizen of this new empire, you know, that it's not all cracked up to. Yeah, your personal you know. freedoms are about to be taken away. And now instead right. of a clone army fighting for us, now we have a clone army fighting against us. Right. And that um, develops further in episode two, like yeah, st- huge steps. Yeah. I thought it was great to see. And, and that's part of the, what was really great about this episode for me is we got to see, we got to see Jedi um, and, and especially Caleb Doom. We got to see Tarkin and we got, we get to see the, you know, the cloning, we get to see all these elements. We get to see Saw Guerrero. Like we've got plenty of legacy characters and plenty of legacy plot. Yeah. And uh, Tons I'm, I'm really excited tissue. because it's a 16 episode thing. And I think, I think we're going to get some really good payoff, especially with these, these threads. One thing about this scene in particular that really struck me, uh, that I, I didn't really wrap my head around is Republic fighters. Yeah, not, me too. Not clones, but but regular dudes in Republic uniform. Who just took up arms and... Right? And yeah. so they, and you see those little sort of like common helmets that they're wearing in the scene. And that so that's like, we're doing a tremendous amount of world building here. Yeah, the idea that there were, uh, there was a force of, a military force that was not comprised of clones and they were fighting too. Just like... Uh, a Mimban where there's there's a military force for the Empire the, that is not stormtrooper. Yeah, the Imperial Army trooper. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I love I love that stuff. If if nothing more, I uh, got a new action figure to want. Uh, like the uh, plate style helmet, it's pretty yeah. evocative of you know the First World War. Yeah, and can we talk about another quantum leap in the animation again? Oh, uh, sure, Ken. Like this animation is just wow! It's so good. It's so good that there's a scene at the very beginning where uh, Tech puts a, a bomb on a droid and there's an explosion yeah. and then there's a shockwave yeah. that you see from a distance and it washes over a few of the clones and you the effect of that shockwave. It's, there's another quantum leap in the quality of animation. 
And uh, it's been indicative ever since Clone Wars season one. It's like every show they do, they learn something, and there's all these little tips and tricks. And I've heard some complaints about these two episodes saying that they feel like they've whitewashed the characters. Ah, you know. uh, I know. People want stuff to complain about. You Um, mentioned that before, and I'm on the rewatch, and I'm really looking at it. And the only <laughs> you can't even call it whitewashing. It's it's no. it's part of the plot is Echo, who's basically his power Super is pale. yeah. And and even the creators admitted that it's some of their new lighting tools. Sure. And that they're going to adjust it for the next fourteen episodes to to bring it more in line with the tonal. But I nothing nothing else about that seemed like. I did not me. find anything. No. Off at all, to be honest with you, I, I thought it was no. just fine. No, it was wonderful. Uh, speaking of animation models, and and of course, you know, Lucasfilm is famous for reusing assets. I mean, we saw every ship ever digitally designed in the Rise of Skywalker. I kind of snickered because, you know, we've all, I don't know if Andy, have you watched Resistance yet? Not all of it. But you've seen some of it? Some of it. I snickered when the Resistance shuttle is the shuttle model that's used in the second episode. I'm like, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Not a big fan of that design, but Hey, it works. It's still Star Wars. <laughs> Can we take a moment though, and give props to the poorest droid in the universe? Which that one? Poor probe droid gets killed every time. That's true. <laughs> he's just doing his job, just there to watch. And he's taking shots every time. Well, that every probe time. droid really brings up some questions about a couple of things. It calls back to the, the new politics of the galaxy. You know, they even make a, a line to, you know, the Republic never spied on us before. They're always watching now. Yeah. There's that eye in the sky. So, I mean, you know, double entendre with the droid. Was the droid there to to watch the spies or is the droid there to watch the Bad Batch? You know, some combination I think it's there of both. To, I think it's there to make sure they do their job. Right. I mean... Tarkin is still very suspicious of what's going on. and He literally says this is to assess their loyalty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like we said, you know, I don't know who he says it to, but it's not to them, certainly. Uh, was it to one of the, oh, maybe it was to It was one of the Kaminoans. Yeah. Right, right, right. Cloners, one of the cloners. Perfect. So, Saw Gerrera after his big uh, motivational speech, which, by the way, is not lost on Hunter, who very much is impacted by that. And you can, they make a point of focusing in on him to like, oh, yeah, like he kind of gets it. Uh, says, you know, hey, the clones uh, once help, uh, helped us uh, liberate Onderon, and we'll just give them the choice. So hands back his weapon, and then they switch off the last light, and they kind of wander off into the jungle, maybe never to be seen again on the show. Who knows? And that's when, you know, there's the another argument between Crosshair and Hunter, where, you know, mid-argument, Hunter spots the droid and, and blasts it right over Crosshair's shoulder, by, which I might add. <laughs> Killing the droid, and then we have that moment of like, uh-oh, we're being watched. And that's the best way to establish dominance. Like, he, you know, there's that moment where Crosshair is like, oh, oh, are you going to... <laughs> are you going to blast me in the face? <laughs> and and it's, it's his way of saying, you know, no, I'm still fit for command. Not only can I assert my dominance over you, but I can, I can save your life at the same time and take care of the entire, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, that's a really good moment, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is where Tech actually reveals that it's Omega is the fifth clone, not Echo. Right. As he's standing on the ramp to the ship to go back. Returning from Onder on the plan is to pick up Omega and leave Camino because she said, you know, it's not safe here. She wanted to go with them and, and he was hesitant to take her. Like, so we start dipping into Mandalorian territory, right? You know? Right. Uh, and I, at first I was like, maybe this is too derivative, but 
it's a really good message, a message that we need way more of. And I think it might be, you know, we, we always talk about hope being the essential theme of Star Wars, but, yep. but maybe the idea of parenting, uh, the idea of family, of, of lineage, of children, of, of, of family, maybe it's, yeah. it's, it's a secondary thing to hope because we, we watch ostensibly grandchildren uh, you know, of, of characters that we grew to love and ostensibly, you know, and the children of the characters. So maybe it's, it's equally about that. And so by reinforcing like the good parts of that, right. Um, certainly it's going to be a different dynamic than, than I think Grogu it, and, I think it plays I, into the, uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier. I mentioned, and, and I, even the show has said in no specific, very uncertain terms that the clones were a brotherhood. Well, that mm-hmm. the dynamic of the brotherhood has just changed now that there's a sister. They never had a sister before. That's right. So maybe this is less of a of a parent thing and more of a sibling thing. But there's no <laughs> there's no doubt that it does it does look and feel tonally similar to what happened with Grogu and and uh, and Dinjarin. So I I hope that that is delineated and that it goes in a different direction because that's part of you know. That's a little bit of where my disappointment lies, and it's like, oh, we've seen this before. Oh, and she's force sensitive. Oh, okay. So you now know, you have four clones and a little lady. Not that I'm opposed to things that are derivative, because hey, isn't everything derivative of something else? R- rhyming stanzas, right? Is what George Lucas has always said. And, but and, this is, and, and knowing that, to me, it was just a little too much too soon on the heels of the per- Mandalorian. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. reserve my. I'm gonna reserve my. Uh, we got seven more hours unless they drop that's right well, long episodes on us man i don't know that first episode coming in at uh 75 minutes yep wow that was a long one <laughs> it was a long one but i mean could it have been paced any differently eh, maybe but i think everything that that needed to happen uh on camera did uh for better or for worse uh mm-hmm. and, and you know what just tv in general i'm of the opinion that you've got to give a show you know, sometimes two, three, three or more episodes. You know, we saw it with WandaVision. Hundred percent. Let it That's find exactly its footing. What I was thinking. Let it find its footing. And if it doesn't after that, well, then you know, at least you gave it an honest go. It certainly, already has enough moving parts to keep me, especially the stuff from the second episode. Actually. Well, you know my philosophy. You know, put paint Star Wars on a rock and tell me it's new, and I'll stare at it for half an hour. Right. So, yeah, uh, yeah, no, no different with this. I love Star Wars enough that I will give anything a chance. So much so that I did power through the entire series of Resistance. Okay, so yeah, that was tougher than this. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I can remember nothing about Resistance. I can't even tell you the characters' names at this point. Uh, one, one, the red stormtrooper, Captain Cardinal, is the only thing that jumps to my head. Nothing else. The, uh, the... Gold Phasma and Red Phasma. That's what I think of. That's yes, yeah. I know. <laughs> uh, and then we go to prison. <laughs> yeah. And uh, in the course of the incarceration, Crosshair is removed. Because they wanna, they wanna see what uh, compelled him to uh, try to carry out the order. So interesting turn. We talk about a little bit more about the inhibitor chip, and Tarkin says, "Is the programming essentially asks if it can be modified, if it can be reinforced?" And and Nala say is like, "Yeah." So they subject him to a uh, a reinforcement uh, of his programming. I guess it's called. Yeah, they juice that chip. Yeah, really. And then we don't see him for a little while. I guess the last time we see him is in the medical bay getting the procedure done. 
come back to the to the cell and we actually discover that you know Camino and the cloning facility predates the Clone War, so there aren't really any prison cells per se. There might be a holding facility, and they figured that there's a way mm-hmm. to uh, to get out. So when we get to the incarceration point, and they decide that they're going to get out, now they've they've locked up Omega with them, and uh, right. Tech uh, discovers that there is a way out. And it's like you're telling me we can punch our way out, which I th- I loved. I thought it was like uh, every joke you've ever made about uh, Dwayne Johnson <laughs> was encapsulated in that moment. He's going to punch his yeah. way out. And he's like, well, kind of. And they do. They they find a panel and they they break the panel. And of course, uh, they get Omega. She actually volunteers to uh, to, go, to through. go through. But yeah. just before, and and the one thing I I was how I started to get us back where we were. But uh, Omega just before they take Sniper, she goes over and she uh, uh, not Sniper Crosshair. Sorry. Yep, yep. And, and she puts her hand on his knee and says, "I know what you're about to do." Yeah, and, and she says, "You don't have to do it." And then she says, "It's, it's not, not your fault." Your fault. So I, I immediately went, she's getting visions of the future. Okay. It, so I mean, I mean, immediately it was empirical to me that she had, she was force sensitive in that moment. And I don't know if it's something else. I don't know if it's pattern recognition and they're going to make it, you know, maybe they all have sort of a precog. I don't know. But to me, that spoke force sensitivity and it's not, it's not the only time. Yeah. 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 All right. After the prison break, uh, we're making our way to uh, the uh, Havoc Marauder trying to escape because it's, you know, it's not safe here anymore. And uh, we get jumped uh, in the hangar. Omega actually tunes them to, because Omega and AZ, good to see AZ back. You know, such a quirky little character who could have been a throwaway character, but to see him come back in this. And, you know, it's interesting enough that that clone did not blast him. He got stunned. He was shot on stun. So is that like yeah, yeah. AZ is going to come back? Do we think AZ is going to recur? Probably. I, I do. Uh, and because of the, the Nala say thing that's about to come up, I absolutely think that we're going to see more of the I think because they made a, characters. Because they made a point to stun him and not destroy him outright, he's coming back. Don't damage our yeah. property. If he's not hiding on the ship yeah. already. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I never even thought about that, but you know what? That does make a that does make sense now. Cause she tried to she tried to trick him into, oh, it's a uh it's a research assignment. He's like, What? I love research. Those are my favorite. <laughs> and her being a uh uh Nalase passing uh Omega off as her medical assistant. So where does where does her skill set lie in? Is she going to be well, the? That's true, and she. I mean, she openly says, "Oh, you're talking about the inhibitor chips, right?" Like it's like, <laughs> like it's knows. nothing. Yeah, she knows. Right. Yeah. So clearly, she's post. Maybe she doesn't have one. Uh, at this point, it really doesn't matter. I mean, the Clone War is over. So mm-hmm. unless we get into some situation where what we saw with some of the comic books with the uh, the uh, what do you call them the um, the purge troopers. That's right. Uh, where the the programming is, you know, activated to uh, <laughs> what was it to turn on Vader? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so something like that, sure. But I don't think sixty-five. Yeah, really, I don't think Omega has the same the same program. I don't think she has an inhibitor chip. But I do think that there's something between her and Nala Say, and that's there's. I, heard, uh, I watched a little thing with Theory the other day. Yeah, and he was yeah. he's speculating that maybe she's got the abilities of all other all the other four of them. Oh, that's interesting. Well, you know what? Where did you learn to shoot like that? She's like, I don't know. I've never fired a blaster before. Just, yeah, exactly. She exactly. writes it off to being lucky. 
So, but she pegged him, Oof. and then just starts laying she down a hail weapon out of his hand, right? And starts laying down a hail of fire like that is the natural thing to do without any thought about it. Oh yeah, okay. And that was just a regular sidearm too. You notice it wasn't a specialized. She just grabbed a clone sidearm. So the early derivative E eleven or whatever. Yeah, yeah. The oh my gosh, it's the D DC seventeen. I think it is. Yeah, DC seventeen. So let's just talk about the flip side of the her her intuition. You know her her thing with crosshair. As you say, if she has all of the genetic defects of all of them combined, is she just really intuitive? You know, as a as a sister, does she understand him that well because they share the same DNA, or is it force sensitivity? I mean, certainly there that's that's dangled to keep you guessing. I don't yeah. want to know right away. No, especially if there's a bigger plot point. Yep. I think that with her, the possibility of her being force sensitive uh, makes her a really important target for the Empire. It makes the show about them being on the run and trying to survive kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, it certainly ties in with, with the storyline that's running congruently in the, uh, but in another timeline or in another sort of era uh, with Vader finding the, uh, the Exegol cloning facility and right. Luke's hand. Yep. And and my personal theory that that's where he was getting the midi chlorines from before Grogu. And so maybe it's maybe this is the and she's Omega like the the last. But maybe it's you know maybe there's a lot of stuff to unpack there. Like yeah. uh, I have a lot of theories about that. So it would be kind of more rote. If she had all their abilities similar to, you know, like Captain Planet. Yeah. <laughs> like that. By your powers bad, combined. Cool, but I think that force sensitivity is is important in terms of the moving the, uh, tying in the whole story. Like maybe this is the first iteration of Palpatine trying to figure out how to recreate this thing or preserve his life beyond his life. Well, we're definitely going to get something because Tech goes out of his way to say, every clone is made for a reason. What's her That's reason? Right. Yeah. That, before we get to the end of the episode, before they, they take off, let's just talk a little bit more about that, that hangar scene, that sequence with the, the big reveal of Crosshair in his new armor. We talked about it a little bit earlier how it may be, you know, sort of evocative of... Uh, Death Trooper? That's what they're called. Yep. Yes. Yep, yep. Rogue One. Yeah. His helmet is very much akin to uh, what we would co- consider the classic Stormtrooper, but in black and fitted with a uh, rangefinder. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Loved the, uh, like, it was very much open the door. Oh, yeah, that's a stormtrooper. Right down to the uh, the seam down the shoulder pauldron that is not present with clones, but is with stormtroopers. That's right. But it is definitely smoother across the legs and across the chest, where the, the stormtrooper, you know, at the knee has that uh, that little three-box weird looking knee thing. Like, that's not present on his. So, yeah, somewhere between the common uh, future common stormtrooper and possibly the uh, the death trooper and as you say with the green lenses it's very like oh yeah very cool though i love the uh, i love that reveal so i mean he's definitely going to make a better villain than he is a hero sure <laughs> i love the toothpick actually that's twice in the the episode where he kind of spits it out there and yeah, uh, yeah. so as they finally uh, mount up on the ship and they start making their oh what did you guys think of uh, Wrecker's teddy bear? Yeah, it's pretty great. Especially when there's a scene where he's smacking Crosshair with it. 
yeah. earlier on in the episode. He's hitting him in the head with it a few times. Going, like, I just, I just love I how like he, he's freaking out looking for it and he can't find it. He just like, what? It doesn't say a word about it. Like not nowhere is it just, and then she just hands it to him and he's like, right. Oh, <laughs> uh, I have a soft spot. I can't help it. And that's another uh, moment of her being hyper intuitive. Yeah. 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 As we uh, close out the episode, they bust out a Camino. Oddly enough, there is no pursuit, which is contrary to the opening of the episode where they are escorted in and what's your clearance code. So these guys are now on the outside and nobody's trying to chase them down. There's a tracker on the ship. Here's here's the important thing, and I think maybe you guys did miss it. I know my second watch, I I saw it. They're all on the ship. Like There's a lot of of clones there firing at them and stuff. And someone yells, lock down the doors or lock down the ship. Right. They just kind of flash to Namase and she's pushing a controller. And then Tech says, someone's holding the doors. And then they take off and fly off. Namase lets them go. She does. And there's a, so there's a moment of dialogue there too, because at that moment she turns, she's in a room with uh, the prime minister, with uh, Lamasu. And Lamasu says, was it, you know, was it resolved? And she's like, yes, but the remaining clones have escaped Escaped. with Omega. Right. And then he makes a point to say, then we better, we better keep our mouths shut until we know what's going on. I don't try until we know what the emperor, the empire's new intentions are. Right. But he does give her a sideways look. So like, again, something is going on on Camino. The Caminoans are not, you know, clearly there's some, there's a question of loyalty here where they mean they're like ostensibly like business people. So, I mean, I figure they're kind of in it for their own means, you know, what's best for them. And even business people are always in it, you know, even before it's self-preservation. Inevitably the uh, the massive wealth is about self-preservation and preservation of your way of life or your progeny or, or whatever it is. Right. And if she knows that Omega's on that ship, she has an interest in preserving that ship. And yeah. She knows Omega's possibly force sensitive. She knows that, that the Empire is going to want the frig out of her. That's true. So you know, all uh, all roads kind of point towards force sensitivity for me. I like the idea that maybe she is just very intuitive, but at the same time, you know, it's just the overarching narrative and what we know about Star Wars. You know, the, mm-hmm. the chances are, you know, and she may not even be she may never exhibit a single force power, but if she just, if she's just intuitive all the time, right. You know, like like a latent force ability. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And Lauren, Lauren said a scary thing to me. She goes, she's not going to turn on them and grow up to be phasma. Is she? And I went, no, don't say that. Don't, don't even speak that into existence. (laughs) Having such a, you know, horrible, horrible use of that character. I should hope not. (laughs) (laughs) Really, really, I really hope not. Yeah. Omega grows up to be the the Boba Fett of the of the film franchise and uh, and dies in a hole. Non union equivalent. <laughs> yeah. Boba Fett. So it's Omega that actually suggests uh, maybe some of your friends out in the galaxy can help. And uh, mm-hmm. Hunter's like, "Oh, we know a guy," and he says, uh, "Let's plot a course for J nineteen. J nineteen. J nineteen." And they keep that a nice little secret. And then it's like, "Hey, you want to you want to strap in for this? You don't want to miss this view, kid." Mm-hmm. And so she does, and the the pure joy on her face as you see the uh, the stars stretch into hyperspace reflected in her eye, which is super yeah. cool. And she's watching Tech do all like all the movement. She's watching, so she's learning how to fly a starship right there. You think so? 
Yeah, why not? Him part. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. He's flipping different switches. She's, you know, Hunter says, look forward, pay attention to what's about to happen. But she's looking at tech. Yeah. And then she looks up as they. Yeah. And yeah, that's a great, a great shot of the, the hyperspace lines uh, reflected in her eye. And that wraps the first episode. So, man, it, it's a good episode. It's a solid. It's a solid piece of Star Wars. It adds to the adds to the canon. Adds to the you know to what the world building, as you say, Hank. It it had all kinds does of that in spades. Characters. It had all kinds of stuff that I really I wanted to know politically about the world start to happen. It had things that it was hard for me to watch clones act like like jerk offs. Yeah. Uh, like so, it, on the second viewing, I was really stoked. I really enjoyed it. We're about to do it, but I like the second episode even more. Yeah, the second episode uh, builds right off of the first episode and really digs into that uh, familial aspect of the uh, the brotherhood. Now the new emerging uh, sisterhood, but mm-hmm. this is where the lines get blurred even a little bit more because in this episode we're going to go and visit a character that we've met before who has some experience with kids. You're listening to Fandom Power. Yeah, so uh, episode two, this one, it's called Cut and Run. This one uh, debuted Friday, May 7th, 2021. And this one is interesting because you guys remember D.B. Weiss and uh, David Benioff at one point were going to do a Star Wars project? Yep. So Weiss and Benioff were the uh, the creative team that did uh, Game of Thrones. <laughs> the guys who came out and admitted that we actually don't know how to do anything, which may or may not have contributed to their departure from uh, from Star Wars. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, this episode is written by a lady by the name of Gurisimran, oh, I'm going to butcher her name. I'm so sorry. Gurisimran Sandu. And she was a staff writer for season eight of Game of Thrones. So she doesn't have a writing credit uh, because she was a staff writer, but she worked on all six episodes. So that's interesting. And then this one is directed by uh, Stuart Lee. Again, uh, refresh on Stuart Lee. 23 episodes of Clone Wars, 15 episodes of Rebels, and 19 episodes of Resistance. And he is the sole director uh, for this episode. Yeah, we're still in good hands. Yeah, very much so. Episode synopsis for this one. The Bad Batch and Omega arrive on uh, Salakami to meet with uh, the clone deserter, Cut Loquain. Cut tells Hunter about the inhibitor chips and about his plan to escape with his family uh, now that the military presence is increasing. The two discover that chain codes are now needed to book public transport, but no cut will get arrested if he tries to get one. Tech and Echo manage to steal some chain codes and with Omega's help, deliver them to Cut and his family in time to board the transport. Hunter attempts to leave Omega with Cut as he thinks that she needs a family, but she decides to stay with the Bad Batch. Now this one departs from our previous episode, it departs from Aftermath in that this now is a fully on its own Bad Batch, there's no Clone Wars connection. The fonts have actually changed. So when the when Cut and Run comes up on the on the screen, the title card, it's actually in a different font and a different color. That's so right. we are now fully broken away from the Clone Wars. And yeah. So basically the the show opens with the uh the Havoc Marauder landing on uh, Salakami 
And right away, we're treated to uh, one of our first Easter eggs, the uh, the Nexu. The Nexu. Yeah. So Nexu, the uh, the cat, the multi-eyed cat creature that uh, was in the the Geonosian uh, Colosseum. Uh, the Colosseum. Yeah. 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 The one that ruined Padme's back for life. I was going to say the one that turned Padme's shirt into a crop top. <laughs> Can't, ima- can't imagine she ever she healed perfectly from those. Well, I guess they do have back to tanks. So I figure enough time and enough back to you can come <clears> back from a lot. Apparently, you can't grow a hand back though. No. <laughs> Apparently, you have to have enough genetic material to heal before it actually. Bosk can uh, in the new comics. Bosk can regenerate limbs. That makes sense though, given yeah, the rep- as a reptile. That's cool. He's dirty. They actually steal Han Solo from Boba Fett. It's great. You should check out the Bounty Hunter Wars. Okay. It's, it's anyway. <laughs> I'm getting off the rails. Nope. It's, it's all right. It's all right because I think you know what Bounty Hunter is probably going to play a big part in this series. To be honest with you, I mean, you know, the Empire can't be everywhere all the time. But right. uh, the if, only place to hide is the underworld. Well, that's, that's it, right? Yeah. So who better to uh, you know go after people in the underworld than than Bounty Hunters? And and certainly, I'm sure that's how uh, we're going to get Fennec Shand. As we saw, Fennec Shand is already been revealed to be a character in the series that's right she's probably going to be one of the people on their tail whether she flips or not in a twitter some rex is going to appear so is he oh interesting okay i did not know that now i'm more excited (laughs) that's good all right so we have uh the next who live here there's a whole little bit of dialogue as they leave the ship and they're actually walking towards the homestead and there's a line about trusting a deserter and tech with his, you know, no filter. We're all deserters now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but just before you get that, you do oh, get uh, that. a wonderful depiction of Omega's childlike, you know, I don't know anything yet. Oh, that's yet. right, yeah. Because she takes her first step Playing on dirt. with the dirt. Whoa. What is this? <laughs> and they're like, Anybody? what are you doing? That would be dirt. It's diametrically opposed to Anakin's view on the same thing, too. On dirt? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe Anakin, less sand, more dirt. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. It's cool, though, to see her, you know, like you say, she's never been, well, she says, I've never been anywhere. You know, so for her to uh, stop and feel the warmth of the sun on her face and actually turn her head up into the sky and then to, you know, kick at the ground and stop to pick up the dirt and just playing with it. And I'm thinking, I kind of think back to my own childhood and I'm like, was I ever that innocent? And I don't remember. We grew up in the environment. And if we had been introduced into it, certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very similar. It's indicative of the, the when Ray's on the, the bridge of the Falcon with, with Solo and, and Chewbacca when they land on uh, Azkanata's homeworld, Takodana, And she sees trees for the first time. Oh, yeah, that's right. True. Because she I've lived on Jakku, so yeah. Green in my life. Yeah, yeah. And Hansel was like, well, there's lots of green, man. Like, cool it. <laughs> So they finally arrive at the homestead, and uh, it's worthy of noting that uh, this homestead has actually got a pretty decent fence around it, which we come to find out later on is for a reason. It's not just to, uh, you know, keep the kitties in the in the yard, but uh, yeah. And uh, we're introduced, or reintroduced, I should say, to uh, Cut and Cut's wife, Sue. So we the title of the episode. Yeah, so we we were introduced to Cut back in uh, the Clone Wars where uh, he was a deserter. And uh, I can't remember the, the arc particularly well, but I know there was some discussion about trying to bring him back into the fold and he just, he had more to live for where he was because of the, the family. Rex was injured in fives and... Uh, yeah, that's right. I remember who brought him there. 
just to a far, they saw a farm and then it happened to be Cut's farm. Right. And they identified him as like, you're a clone. <laughs> right. And they, they had to leave and go back and fight and they left Rex in his care. And that's sort of how yeah. at first Rex was going to turn him in. That's right. But I mean, that evolved. I mean, with the, the whole family thing and, and having a wife and children and that sort of changed the, the dynamic and, and really influenced Rex and sort of his outlook about what it means to be just one more uh, awesome, what made the Clone Wars awesome was that evolution of the, you know, being able to question, you know, and, and have a moral compass that, you know, everything's not black and white like it would be for a droid. So yeah, that arc went a, a long way to humanizing the clones. Big time. Really got to see it and, and understand why a guy could walk away from that because, you know, Rex literally says in, in that, in those episodes, like, but our brothers were dying and, and, and he just throws it right back at him. It's, but our brothers were dying. Yeah. Like, you know, so you see the two flip sides of that coin and they both make incredible sense. Uh, yeah, they do. They totally do. I'm curious to know like what the connection is though. Like clearly, cause in the dialogue there's this, like uh, they start talking about what's happened. And, and so order 66 and the slaughtering of the Jedi and the inhibitor chips, and then the whole, like, oh, yeah, Rex told us about the inhibitor ships. And they're like, what? Why? Rex was here? Well, he just passed through yesterday. I'm curious to know what the connection is, because now we've established that they all know each other. But we've never that's seen them. We've never seen them all interact with each other. So I'm curious to know how that's going to go. I mean, technically, they've interacted. I mean, that the four, the four episode arc. But, you know, mm-hmm. were they, we don't know how tight these guys are. Like, are they, you know, it's not like... Uh, like say Cody and Rex or Rex and Wolf or, you know, you know what I mean? Right. That there is, he's willing to leave Omega with, with cut. Well, that, that is the overarching, you know, sort of theme. One of the themes to this episode is sort of the, the bonds of family. And, and again, at the expense of drifting into Mandalorian territory, where it's like, you have a, a group of elite fighters and I, and this is where I'm like, I'm looking at Hunter, like, like he's John Rambo. Eh? Like he's like going through, you can see him wrestling with, they drew first blood, not me. He's wrestling with the idea of like his own ability to look after this kid. And we see that when cut and Sue's kids come in and they, they have a moment of like, we don't see kids here. Who are you? And she's like, I'm Omega. And they go outside to play. And in, and in the, the playing with the ball, the two kids turn to go inside and, and Omega, a kid being a kid intentionally, intentionally boots the ball beyond the fence line. That's right. And in going and getting the ball, we have our second encounter with the Nexu. So it turns out that that fence is to keep the kitties out, <laughs> to keep the kiddos in, but the kitties out. <laughs> right. Nolase does say in the last episode, she has a curious mind and, and is, is constantly getting into trouble, if you will. Well, she certainly got herself into trouble here. And so here's the, here's the dichotomy or the, the contrast of, of styles is once that situation is resolved and, and Sue kind of drives it off with her, her rifle, Hunter immediately like, do you know what you just did? Like you could have been killed and cut is very quick. He's the complete opposite. He's the doting father. And it's like, whoa, she's not a soldier. She's not a soldier. And he goes right into the, the parental, the very, very paternal, like, are, are you okay? Are you okay? Everything's going to be fine. She needs a little time. And you see, you see Hunter wrestling with like, 
what the hell just happened? <laughs> right. And the first person, the first member of the group to mimic it yep. is Wrecker, actually. Wrecker is the first one to go, are you okay? Like mimicking, like, oh, this is what we're supposed to, this is how we treat Omega. And he's the first one to mimic it. I noted that. Well, I look at, look at Wrecker though. And I mean, they share a moment too on the ship. His, in his own, so, and I don't want to take anything away from the character because I think he's great, but in his own simplicity, let's go back to the previous episode and he's, the way that he talks to Caleb Doom. Hey, little Jedi. Like, it's like, he's the, I don't want to say, but he's like the, you know, he's like the cool uncle. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's already got, he shares that childlike innocence because of his own mental state, I guess. That's right. That's right. I agree. And they do point that out on the ship just as they're arriving to the planet because they're like, Hey, look at this. And both of them are passed out in the back. Yeah. And yeah, he's yeah. got his little teddy bear. And- well, that's it too. And the, the teddy thing and her giving it back to him, like it kind of establishes that there's a kinship there, yeah. you know, that, and maybe that's more of the sibling, the sibling thing and less of the, the father right. I thing. I think if there is any parenting dynamic and, and certainly there has to be, yeah. it'll be about each one of those characters being a, a different aspect of the parent and therefore the, you know, the brother. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so, where Mando has to figure it out by himself. Yep. We see in this moment, Cut gives them everything they need. You know what I mean? This is how you treat a child in this situation. Yeah, all in like, like what, two or three lines? That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah, super powerful though, and it, the sense of like, it's conveyed very, very well. Oh, yeah. I started thinking though, like, um, is it because there's no Jedi there? <laughs> that Cut doesn't order 66 and Cut. Yep. Let's discuss that. Okay, sure. He doesn't seem to exhibit a reset, aggressive tendencies, or perhaps his chip was defective in the Maybe. first place, which allowed him to even just do things that even Rex couldn't do, which is just shirk duty. I I guess. You know, I mean, we saw so Rex. That Maybe we're going to get into Maybe we'll see the character again and get into it more. He hasn't, because they tell him about the inhibitor chips, and yeah. so does Rex. Yeah. He's not wearing a bandage. Rex didn't just remove it. No, that's true. Shaved. Is this another? A few questions about cuts inhibitor chip is this another example of the uh the purge trooper thing where they never had theirs removed either you know like they're they still have it and uh you know it it becomes this clever plot device where it could come into play later on you know if uh if jedi are introduced in the show and and you know somebody knew the correct trigger like execute Mm -hmm. order 66 would he go off and there's and there you have i think you maybe just hit it there yeah because he was nowhere near a transmission That's right. He's no, he did not receive the order. Given the order. That's what I mean. Yes. So, and there is actually, there's a precedent in the comics. I can't recall the comic, but it's a, it's the star Wars comic. The the story occurs between a new hope and empire. Yeah. No, actually it's between empire and Jedi. It's Luke looking for his lost lightsaber. Okay. Yeah. And he encounters a Jedi who there's a bunch of clones and he essentially is fighting dark Jedi or d- dark force users. And yep. he, he screams order 66 and those clones turn on the dark Jedi. Yeah. And he escapes. Right. So it, it's literally the word yeah. is the impression that you get from yeah. that. Like I always look at the dog and then look at Lauren and I say, yeah. the dog, order 66. <laughs> and nothing ever happens. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> but yeah. Lauren so I hates, mean, if Lauren he hates it, <laughs> him essentially, you know, living uh, off grid, you know, has afforded him that uh, sheltering from that. So he's never yeah, I been. I think I might have answered my own question. Yeah, he's just never been subjected to it. Right. 
yeah, his own isolation, which is an, another theme of the episode because he's already decided that, you know, as if this place that he's living in is already not off the grid enough, he's come to the conclusion that with this new empire, we just need to fade away to a quiet part of the galaxy and live out our life. It begs the question, is the order given once and once you've heard it, it's Does it, it? Yeah, is it repeatable? Or is it like, is there a signal streaming? Well, this is it. Like, I, I wonder, because this goes back to that whole, like, every, did everybody get it in their helmets at one time? You know, like, because some indications are like, yeah, they did. And other indications are like, well, maybe it was just sent down to the commanders and the commanders disseminated right. that. It would have to be super close to simultaneous for it to work. I always felt like it was a, I don't know why. I always felt like it was a one-time thing, like a one and done. Yeah, you know, because I, I, I did too. I was given the impression, yeah. I kind of feel like, because once you give that order, I mean, there's two options. You either live or you die. Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, well, certainly. if that's your mission in life is like, okay. Especially if you're not just like sitting on a ship somewhere, especially if you're standing beside a jet right. when it's given. Um, right. And how many. And I guess with the domino analogy, it has to start and it has to stop. And it is all one motion. The Jedi to clone ratio during the war was so skewed that not every clone was in a position to have sites. That's the thing that's not super, super evident in the movies that they don't really, like, that we lost so many Jedi. Yeah. The Battle of Geonosis, it's not fun. I mean, don't they just, don't they allude to that, you know, even at the time of the Phantom Menace, that there's just, like, a few thousand Jedi in the galaxy? Not, like, tens of thousands, but, like, like maybe 10,000, maybe. I don't know if it's ever explicitly I don't think it is either. stated in, in, around the time of the Phantom Menace, but we're certainly at the, the end of their heyday. Their numbers have diminished for whatever reason at this point anyway. Mm-hmm. I'd like to look into that. Me too. But certainly we lost thousands of Jedi at the Battle of Geonosis, thousands. Yeah, I mean, you look at anything Old Republic, whether it's the, the, the MMO, and the MMO does a great job at like sort of like, sort of, suggesting that like yeah there was way more at some point in, in galactic even in the history. high republic there's yeah yeah, yeah. jedi and and even more in the farthest reaches of the galaxy and even yeah, more there yeah. are jedi that have gone their own way there's well this they, is it really too right get into the gray area of jedi and that whole expanded that don't prescribe yeah yeah the the old eu uh what we call alternate force traditions right That's like right. you know your your witches of dathomir and your yes yes your jedi and uh what's there's there's a few other orders of, of like force users that exist out there but right like even like racially like yep the original sith was a right yeah that's that right the force yeah right so this is cool that uh, the whole idea of, of uh, besides getting in trouble and then having that moment where she's kind of, you know, consoled by a cut, it's cool to see, it's an aspect of the clones that we've never seen before because from from hatching, uh, from incubation right until departure with the Grand Army of the Republic, it's been combat, 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 combat. To see, you know it's one thing for a human child to be a child, but what is it like for a clone to just be a child? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're not really privy to what kind of training she had. And no, she's called a lab assistant. She's even that the jerk off clone, we'll call him jerk off. Yeah. (laughs) Calls her a lab scrubber. Yeah, Um, that's true. Yeah. So, you know, who knows what kind of training she's had, but certainly, well, is it training? There's or... genetic 
risks involved because they're they're just like ostensibly they've cloned Django Fett. There's yep. the body yep. memory is involved. They've accelerated the aging and they're just like refining the process by having them do the physical training. So when you see her pick a weapon up at yep. however old she is, eight or even accelerated, she could be three or something crazy. And yeah. it has that Django Fett DNA. Yeah. You know, that that body memory that's inherent. It's not a crazy stretch, but maybe that means she's had the physical combat training as well. Like maybe she's gone through the part same of, part of me wonders I, and I and I I definitely I I believe all of that. I can see that being exactly laid out the way you describe it. Part of me questions because of the, you know, the the inhibitor chip thing. Let's let's call it what it is it was a fail safe for the emperor so mm-hmm. i mean if they could if they could build in a fail safe you know for the emperor you know in the event of something happened to the you know the jedi could the kaminoans not build in a fail safe to protect themselves i believe there was and is omega is omega that that you know the the first success of whatever fail safe they put in like there's some programming within her that is currently dormant that may be activated later you know, a la Jason Bourne, maybe. Certainly. Yeah, so that's kind of where I am at with that. I, I think there's, clearly there is more to this character that is going to come out over time. And, and you know, <laughs> I love speculating about it. So Order 65? <laughs> maybe? In, yeah, no, no, um, I was joking earlier, but I, yeah, yeah. I just looked it up. So this isn't necessarily canon, but it's comic book and novel stuff. Yeah, sure. Order 65 was one of 150 contingency orders that the clone troopers of the Grand Army of the Republic were trained to carry out in the event of different emergency scenarios during the Clone Wars. Order 65 stated that if a majority of the Senate or Security Council declared that Supreme Chancellor at the time Palpatine was unfit for duty, the Chancellor was to be arrested and if necessary, killed. Interesting. So they were also programmed with an order to, yes, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Let's face it. Palpatine didn't put the chips in them. No, he didn't. The cloners did. That's right. Interesting. So, uh, but somebody would have had to have like sent over. Here's a list of all the things that need to be built in. <laughs> sure, and they just tucked their own. In. Yeah, yeah. But um, I'd love to. I'd love you know, as a deep crazy nerd, I'd love the. the I'd love to see the whole canon list of 150. Yeah, really. I want to know everything that's built in there, <laughs> and how do we get it out? <laughs> Wait. We totally glossed over this and I meant to go back to it. I'm so sorry. Let's, can we back up a second going back sure. to like, you know, programming and, and clones. What the hell were the Coruscant Guard doing on Camino to begin with? Ensuring a smooth transition into the Empire. Is that what we're calling that? I think so. Did they show up with Tarkin or did he come independently? They've always said that they're loyal to the Emperor first. Right. Or loyal to Palpatine. They're Palpatine's personal regiment, right? I, yeah. So the little bit they of reading. They were never loyal to the Jedi. The little bit of reading that I did. to the, to the uh, Supreme Chancellor. Yeah. What little reading I did on uh, the Coruscant Guard is that they, over time, supplanted the Senate Guard. And if if you're not familiar with the Senate Guard, if you go back to the Phantom Menace, they were the blue-robed mm-hmm. guys with the big plumage on their, uh, <clears throat> on their helmets. That's right. Which I just presume that the Senate Guard naturally evolved into the Imperial Royal, Royal Guard. Guard. Right. But what I read about the Coruscant Guards suggests that they were actually two independent forces, both right. both sharing that, that loyalty to the Emperor, as you say. They're just the clone regiment assigned to the homeworld of the Senate, but yeah. then under direct control of the Supreme Chancellor, not under control of the Jedi. But that, the 
and we just we just went right off into you know off into the weeds there but does that not just beg the question like what other fail safes are in there like if you say to me that the clones are loyal to the emperor but the emperor did not put the programming into them the cloners did they have to have a fail safe you know what i mean like you wouldn't you're you're talking about the uh i don't want to make i don't want to make a dumb reference but like the uh the ferengi of the star wars universe like the like these guys are the consummate business people we're talking probably hundreds of billions or trillions of credits worth of goods it's just good business yeah you know what i mean like these guys are probably well entrenched and and well off that they're not immune to you know, looking so after themselves. Let's pretend that they're a, like a, a sneaker company. Let's pretend they're Nike. Yeah. Nike is making billions of shoes. That's right. But not for only one market. No, no. They're making right? it for and everybody. They're also not in the habit of like, I can't phone Nike up and be like, I, I need one single pair of custom shoes. No, I need like 200,000 right? pairs. So the Republic, while maybe their largest contract, can't have been their, their only, only contract. Yeah. Yeah, that and they've much, been in I business ostensibly for a very, very yeah. long time. This yeah, because you don't just you don't just clone a living being overnight, right? Or we what what the story would have been then was the creation of a, a republic cloning facility, and their you know how they created it, how it was secretly created. But no, this was just a group of beings that existed in and there was a planet you could go to, and with enough money and maybe charisma, you could have an army built. Or, and I mean. Let's not forget that Camino was removed from galactic databases. Like nobody knows where it is. Mm-hmm. You know, there are very few people actually know where it is. That's right. So I mean, is that is that their failsafe? Are they banking on the fact that nobody knows where we live, so we don't need protecting, uh, we don't need a standing, uh, you know, security force or or military. You know, maybe that's sort of the the Achilles heel for them. I don't know. But I'd like to think that they're smarter than that. If you can, if you can create life, you're smarter than that. I say, good business is where you find it. Right. So back to where we are here. The uh, we just get through the, uh, you know, you could have gotten killed, and then there's this whole idea of, you know, what this things are getting tight. We got to get out of here. And so the the thought of you know moving off world is talked about, but not before we find out that we can't book passage anymore. Because now, you know, Republic credits aren't enough. We have to have a chain code. Those credits won't do you any good without a chain code. And this, for me, this is what, upon the second viewing, I started to think this is less derivative of the Mandalorian and more its progenitor. Yeah. The themes you know, that are being set up here, we've already actually seen some of them come to fruition. Yeah. This is, this is where the themes are set in motion. And, the uh, whole idea of a chain code as it's presented to us in The Mandalorian, I just thought of it as, that's your family tree. And chain, I was thinking DNA. Yeah, absolutely. But now it, it, it makes complete sense that it's a Big Brother-esque registration yeah. system. You know, And it starts with, they mentioned ships before people. That's right. Because they come in, like, what's your registration? We don't have a registration, which is another, Yeah. Uh, I guess it's not a legacy line at this point, which is another sort of nod to The Mandalorian where he says, no, my ship is pre-empire so i don't have a transponder yeah i don't have a code that you know so that i mean that's really cool too that's a that's a nice link oh that's a good link yeah that is a good link i think of the way that boba presents his chain code to uh to din Djarin, and it's a it's a point of pride for him like you can see it here see this is my chain code this is me this that's is my father right. my father and before the, him and 
yeah and if if you got to have one then you have one yeah you'd think boba would have had a fake one or a hot one yeah but i guess in that sense he wouldn't really need one well so here he doesn't need just, to fake it we just found a plot hole my friend yeah how can Django have a chain code if they were invented years after his death? I don't say, I don't think they were. I think the chain code as a piece of identification is the, that's the, the hitch. Using it as a, as a means to identify yourself. I, th- I still think chain code as family tree and everybody has one of those. But if you're a clone, you have no chain code because you were created. Your they, chain they're code literally be... saying that you have to line up and register for a chain code. They're right. They're assign you one. Right. So that as a piece, as a means of like controlling the population, I think that is the new, that's the new component. I think chain codes, you know, as a thing have Mm. probably always existed, but they were just never used as a means of identification. Right, right. You know, like. uh, It feels super relevant to the world right now for me. You know, think of it as everybody's got a birth certificate, but it's not always, you know, maybe that's a poor example, but. I think that well, they've it seems always been more around. nefarious than birth certificates. Oh well, yeah, absolutely, it does. Maybe ner- birth certificates are nefarious just because we were born into that world. Maybe we don't feel that way. That's um, true. But your new vaccine the, passport might be always the danger well, of a there new is generation that. being born with less and less freedom. Right, right. So this so whole it's normal to them. The whole talk of chain codes leads us into you know how do we do this? How do we get them? And how do we? Uh, how do we get Cut and his family off-world? There's a great line here, too. Uh, basically, Hunter asks Tech, can you hack it? He goes, well, I just heard about it, but yes. I love that line. And that, again, <laughs> great line. the guy is so, he's so brilliant and has no filter. Yeah. <laughs> just a simple, straight up well, yes. I just heard about it, so <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my God. I hope he makes it through the whole series. <laughs> he's so good. So they start hatching a plan to uh, get these chain codes, but this is at the point where Omega is having her little moment where she's now like a child would. And we can think, you know, back to our own childhood experiences where something, you know, traumatic has happened to you where you just run off in the corner and you just want to hide and and be alone and maybe you cry and, you know, you have your moment and that's, that's what she's doing on the ship. Sort of not explicitly laid out even in life, but what a a child, when a child is being admonished or gets in trouble, they, they only have the intellectual capacity to, to to think a certain way, and that that way is what have I done that's wrong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, like like they haven't learned that whole like different points of view and 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 the sort of empathizing with with others and taking on their emotions and feelings she could and considerations. Be... They only know themselves, so they literally think that they're to blame, and which is this is a this well, is that a, and doesn't every child with divorce and yeah. yes, that's the, the the hit. I think it's very sort of simple that people don't realize that that's that's the way all children internalize you know that that sort of trauma that so yeah she does the same thing which is you can take a clone and, and you can fill them full of all of the you know informational stuff that they need to function in society but you cannot program emotional intelligence no yeah, that's experience based yes and so now she's having these experiences for the first time which is interesting that they didn't really dive into that as much with the clones throughout the Clone Wars, emotional intelligence, because, you know, you spend a couple of years in a training facility and all you're doing is combat and you're not processing any other emotions. Once you're out in the world, there's no safety net. <laughs> you're at no. your own devices to deal with that. And I'm surprised that more clones didn't mentally cave because of that. No, it's, it's true. And we might see that now, a la Winter Soldier, 
that they have the time to decompress. Yeah. 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 And reflect on, you know, three years of war. Right. And for them an entire life. Yeah, exactly. So this is a good point that you just hit on a really good point. Yeah. So despite the age of, and I think we might've answered one of our questions from earlier, despite however physically old Omega is. Yep. Ostensibly, she's no older than three. Well, this is what I mean. You know, I mean, even 100% accelerated, even the oldest clones that would have had to have been in development prior to the war, you know, three years of war, plus however time it took to grow a clone from embryo to adult. Well, how old do we figure Boba is in Attack of the Clones? Because there's our answer. He Uh, he has not been aged. In Attack of the Clones. I thought it was around 10 years. I thought he was about 10 years old as well. So So there you go. They've been they've been cooking. So Sifo-Dyas applied you know, 45 years before the A New Hope. That's right. Is what we're talking. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. This, And then you're actually talking that Palpatine was in his, his teens. Yeah, I guess so, eh? Yeah. <laughs> wow. So he's a, he, uh, murder came to him very young. <laughs> sure. Unless he is Darth Plagueis. Well, there is that, uh, that's still floating around out there, isn't it? It's still floating around out there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who could uh, create life. Right. All right, so Omega takes her amulet off her head and she, you know, she has this moment where she's crying and I kind of, that's where I kind of go back to like, oh, is she, because she takes it off and she's, she stares at it pretty intently for a couple seconds and I'm like, is she missing? Like, is it like, I miss my mom? Like, I she's miss. She's questioning her choice right there. Is she questioning right, her choice? Make yeah. The right, yeah, well, I, yeah. I, I never cried. I never cried before. Probably not. I never got, I never, you know, there was nothing ever that could have harmed my life before. No one ever yelled at me before. No. Yeah, no, there's definitely, she's questioning her, her decision in that moment. Yeah. But yet at the same time, like, like I said, that the amulet never goes back on her head after that, you know, for no. the rest of the episode, it, it's off. Yeah. So we have this, she's there having her moment as she's sitting in the jump seat and then tech and, uh, echo are hatching their plan about how we're going to get the chain codes. And they're like, well, if the, if the chain codes are controlled at the spaceport, then we've got to get into the spaceport. And how do we get into the spaceport? Well, from an earlier scene, we see that the empire has been going around and has been impounding ships for reasons. (laughs) They're just impounding ships for reasons. So yeah, exactly. So they decide, well, of course, if you want to limit a population's movement, then you, you take away their ability to move. Right. Yeah. So they hatched up this idea that we're going to get the Havoc Marauder impounded. And that way, that'll get us into the spaceport. Seems like a good idea at the time. But as Hunter points out, there's one small problem with that. And that's Omega is actually on board the shuttle with them as they're getting uh, lifted away. part of the extraction team. Which is funny because she kind of turns around in the seat and she waves and says, I think it's a good plan. <laughs> so she's right on board with it, right? Right. Yeah, so but there's there's a little bit more going on there because Cut and uh, Hunter have this whole conversation about you know you're going to get off the planet and I want to leave her with you because you can give her a life, the you know that we just or I just can't, and I don't know if it's an I can't or we can't you know because at this point I'm still confused is Hunter see you know is Hunter looking at her from the perspective of a father you know. I'm not. He doesn't know how to lead this soldier. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's probably the best. If you asked the same question of Rack, you'd have a totally different answer. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And this is why that each character is going to have to find their their version of uh, parenting, if you will, or brotherhood with her. Yeah. You know, and I. So I think that you're going to see a lot of different aspects of that 
you know, it's, it's, a, it's a slightly different dynamic than what you get with Grogu and Din Djarin. It totally is. You know, there's a, with Grogu being so diminutive, physically speaking, you, it, there's a propensity to look at him as a baby, you know, hence mm-hmm. the term baby Yoda. And what right. does everybody think about babies? That they're, they need to be protected. Helpless. Yeah, That's helpless right. and need to be protected. Whereas sure. like in this episode, Omega even makes a point at the end of the episode to, to mention how she's like, I know I messed up and I have a lot to learn, but you don't need to get rid of me. So it's not, mm-hmm. it's different. You know, she's, she's yeah. already sort of, she's trying to, you know, argue her value, her worth. She's like, yeah, I know I have a lot to learn, but. It's almost an, an inverse thing where you have Grogu being 50, but, but having. Yeah. Almost no ability to communicate with the, the world and right. her being three and having advanced capabilities of, of getting, you know, clearly she's really emotionally intelligent. Like she's, you know, she's coming, she's coming on it fast. Yeah. So, so while Grogu ages slowly, she's aging quickly. And if we, so I think that that's a dynamic that's not lost on me. And if we think that she really is just three years old, then that is the answer to the, you know, is she accelerated? Yeah. You know, even if she's, thing. yeah, even it's gotta be somewhere in that ballpark, right? Even if she's 10, you know, she's yeah, not far, exactly. she's not far off of the same age as uh, Boba. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we get to the spaceport, and uh, it's this whole—it's <laughs> like this whole comedy of errors. It's almost—it's almost, it's almost uh, like Laurel and Hardy, Abbott and Costelloy, the two of them bantering back and forth about you know going in and getting the cards, the the chip cards, and you know trying to not raise an alarm and the banter between the two. Do you want to come out here and try it? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's great. And it gets the exposition across, but in a really fun way. Yeah. So and banter is, is some of the best parts of, of Star Wars. Too. It is. And, and they're finding it. I don't know if they've, they've got it down a hundred percent, but they're definitely finding it. And this was a yes. great, this was a great example of when it's good. It's really good. So and again, we have D Bradley Baker just acting off himself. Yeah. And it's, you know, how can one guy voice essentially <laughs> tens of thousands of characters and they all come off as uh, slightly different? Never once did I ever question, you know, like who's talking. Maybe because not only are you staring at them, but even if I was to, you know, I think close my eyes, I would have a pretty clear indication of like which clone I was talking to. That's right. Certainly with the main ones anyway. So hats off to that man for being so versatile with the same voice. <laughs> it's pretty incredible, actually. Yeah. 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 And I mean, to play an ensemble by yourself and have it come off as five distinct individuals. It's uh yeah, it's fantastic. Cause I don't think we've ever had five, you know, this number of clones, which is a small number, but I mean, five unique, distinct personalities in the same place at the same time, all the time. No, you that's know? right. And, yeah. and, and every scene is off one another. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So is he, is he in a room just reading to himself? Or is he just going schizophrenic? Like, you know, um, I've seen footage of Justin Roiland uh, of uh, Rick and Morty fame who does yeah. both Rick and Morty who yeah. constantly act off one another in scenes and it's like watching a madman work. I've watched, you know, I've seen Seth MacFarlane in interviews, you know, dip in and out of different voices and it's, I think there's a difference when you're, when you're doing essentially a, a caricature versus somebody like, oh, it's just lost it now. It's another actor who does multiple voices. Mm. You kind of wonder, going back to the D. Bradley Baker thing, where does he do all of Hunter's lines in the booth by himself with the director, and then does all of Wrecker's lines, like, does he do them separately, or does he float in and out of, oh, that's what I was going to talk about, 
James McAvoy in Split. Right. James McAvoy's ability to dip in and out of those multiple personalities was just uncanny. But I have to imagine, like, you know, that's a real uh, a real measure of an actor's craft to be able to do that so convincingly. Like, it's got to be incredibly hard. So again, it, it yeah, definitely would have to be hard. But there's some there's some I guess emotional beats that you wouldn't get if you weren't delivering the lines on top of one another. I, I mean, maybe I that's all so. done in editing, but this is where I think, like, I mean, my, it's such, I have such a limited understanding of, you know, acting, uh, in the booth, but I mean, like listening to some of these voice actors where sometimes you're, they say sometimes you're lucky enough where you have a, a director, a casting director or a voice director who's giving you the emotional tone, who's telling mm-hmm. you, this is what I need in this line. And so you mm-hmm. just you put it out there the best you can and hope that in the editing process that, you know, it fits with the response that you get. Cause a lot of times, a lot of voice actors will tell you that they don't get to work. They all do their work separately. They never see each other and then they record their lines and then the show is cut together and it, and it works the way it does. So right. I wonder if that's the case with, with D Bradley, if he's doing them, individually I, one I can't, character at a time yeah with a with the director i think for me if it was me and i had to do five voices i don't think i could get my head around flipping back and forth because i'd be who am i talking what as now what amazes me is the, the distance between like so we had what four years between season six and seven of clone wars yeah and how effortlessly he just picked right back up. to it and how subtly different rex is from echo but right picked them right back up yep right back to where um, they were and you know, like it's, that's incredible to me how that these guys can find their voices sometimes years later. Yeah. With these big uh, breaks in between. Right, right, right. All right. Where are we now? We're getting chain codes. And so we're bantering back and forth between Echo and uh, Tech about, you want to come out here and do this? Mm-hmm. At the same time, you know, we're trying to figure out how are we going to get them over to uh, Hunter and Cut and the family? And there's no way that they they basically talk about if we have a blaster fight in here, the whole spaceport's going to get locked down and nothing's going to happen. So we've got to get them out. And so it falls to Omega. And I don't, <laughs> she kind of takes it upon herself. And maybe this is her way of like after the Nexu thing where, you know, she's, she already feels like you say, maybe uh, derided or belittled or, or, you know, like I just got disciplined for that and, and I'm not dealing with it very well, but this is my way to make up for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where she takes the the chips and decides that she's going to get them there. <laughs> and the thing that we tried to avoid happens anyway. We end up into a blaster fight. <laughs> That's it, right. it wouldn't First be one and then all of them. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be Star Wars without one. But then you've got the rest of the squad. So you've got Wrecker and Hunter in civilian dress, you know, just kind of milling around the spaceport, but still monitoring with their comm. And uh, Wrecker ends up, uh, you know, hopping over the fence as it were per se and, and helping out. And they even make a point to say like there was a radio, there's some radio chatter where they, they actually mentioned a couple of civilians got through with guns. <laughs> I don't know if you yeah, picked up yeah, on yeah, that. Yeah. And they're like, Oh, that if that doesn't really, uh, you know, tweak some interest, <laughs> I don't know what will. Record does the, the a twist on the classic, take two bad guys heads and crack them together, but it, it takes three of them. <laughs> I love the sound effect that they used for oh, that okay. moment was the same sound effect as the, uh, the energy balls that the Gungans were using. Must be in this hand. It was the same yeah. sound effect. Oh, yeah. let's talk about sound effects for a minute because 
back in, sorry, and I hate doing this, going back to episode one, in the holding facility, that whole uh, conversation between Omega and Crosshair, there is a, there's one argument to be made that she is force sensitive, and it's the musical cue that mm-hmm. when she has that line, there's that same sound effect that's used. We've seen it used before when Luke uses the force, when Yoda uses the force, and it's almost like a, like a wind chimey, and it's just a couple little notes that's just just enough to suggest that, oh, is this something more than you know her own intuition? That's true. I did hear that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I should have said that before because that was a major point. Okay, so getting out of the spaceport, Omega gets out and hands off the uh, chain codes, and she makes a point to say, but there's, you know, there's an extra one. And, uh, and Cut's like, what? You didn't tell her? And so he basically takes his bag off and sends them on their way up with the chain codes to get uh, processed and then, and then takes a knee to say, listen, the, the fifth one is for you. And, uh, you know, I want you to go with them because they can give you a life and, and, uh, that we can't. And she doesn't know how to handle it. She doesn't really say anything. She's just like, ah, uh, you know, that like deer in a headlight look. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so she does. She goes off with them and, and, and gets in the line while they all make a break for the shuttle, we can't get the boot off the landing gear. And I thought that was hilarious because I'm literally looking at it. Remember in Solo when they had the Falcon booted? Yeah. But it was like a humongous like anchor chain. Yes, <laughs> and yeah, I'm like, there's yeah. no anchor chain here. It's just literally a boot. When did that happen? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't get the boot off electronically, but apparently Wrecker is incredibly strong. Yeah. Like... Wookie strong, maybe? Maybe stronger. He pushes three tanks off of a Well, this is it, too. And, I mean, like, you can argue that, well, they're on repulsor lift, and if they're not, you know, under power being pushed forward, like, it's the same idea as you and I could take a block of carbonite, put it on a repulsor sled, and we could push it with a finger. Mm-hmm. Is there a little bit of that going on? But they, they show him to be straining against the three tanks to shove them the over. The droid says, like, let's fire the... the, the stabilizers in the opposite direction and yeah. it bears down when the, right. when the droid says that. So apparently he's strong enough to rip a boot off of <laughs> off a starship, which I thought, oh, that's cool. Don't piss him off. No. Yeah, and it's our uh you know, it's our big moment where we're gonna we're gonna escape and, and so we're kinda there's a there's a tension there because you're there's the fight in the spaceport, there's trying to get, you know, cut and the family on board the shuttle. And there's a moment where they're stopped. And it's like, hey, you uh, look, uh, and you're thinking, oh, he's going to be made, you know. And, and by the way, why wasn't he made? He should have been made instantly. Like the guy's got no facial hair whatsoever. Yeah, it was the sideburns. Yeah, low hat on. I mean, he was about to be made certainly before that guy got called away. Right. It's hard to watch those clones for me be stormtroopers and exactly, exactly what they were hurting people. Yeah. Exactly the way we see them in solo, you know, more like a, like a, a military with police power. Yeah. You know, I mean, like uh, hurting people. If you've ever traveled to, you know, to um, step this way, man, make sure you sign up for your brand new chain codes so that you can be part of the wonderful empire. And you know, not nothing like they're pushing, they're shoving, they shove the one guy to the ground. The, um, the the, the snaggletooth looking guy. The snaggletooth guy, yes. Yeah, right. yeah. And they they shove him to the ground. No, 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 you can't go get your chain code. And he's so you know? de- he's so desperate to get on board the ship. Like, and he he protested. He's already paid. He's paid to be on it. And right. they they just don't accept that. 
No, and it's uh, it's certainly it's exposition. No planet, no interplanetary travel without a chain code. And it's how they're, it's you how know, they're. We're, this is their stroke of order. This it's is how they're maintaining order. It's interesting as a you know as a former soldier who's been to a bunch of countries where the military and the police force are much more entwined. We don't have we don't have that here in Canada. The military is the military, and the police are the police. And when you start blurring those lines, I mean, it can be an ugly thing, right? Where you know, guy in a blue uniform who's supposed to be able to, you know, idea. You, know, you teach your kids that they're safe people to go to, mm-hmm. and now suddenly your your police force is no longer safe because they're the, you know, they're this oppressive like, you know, you know, Gestapo almost, right? It's psychologically, it's it's a big impact. It's one of the problems I have with with Canadian police forces moving from from the short sleeve blue shirts yeah. to the full tactical gear when they're yeah, just walking yeah, around. Yeah. It's scary. When I grew up, police were always just imposing uh, figures. They were uh, in, they were persons of authority, right? And but I mean, but they, uh, there was a certain height requirement. There was a certain sort of weight requirement. Yeah, yeah. And, and there was and and, the, and it wasn't the uniform that scared the crap out of you, and it wasn't even scared the crap out of you. It was this this commanding sort of respect thing? It was a different animal. I don't want to get off. We're going way off the rails. No, but we're not. It it actually, it really does pertain to what we're talking about because you're, we're talking about taking a military and now having them be the police force as well. Yes. And so the lines do get blurred. And so the more, this is a huge issue, you know, in North America, both in Canada and the United States, the, the militarization of police forces. Right. Why does, why does a police sniper need to wear green combat fatigues? That's right. Do you know what um, I mean? It's it yeah. creates a very very particular image, and the optics are what the optics are, and that's public right. perception and it, is everything. Yeah, that's right. And and, and the the masses of people are going to 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 see that sort of thing, you know, which is why you had after the after the protests last year this massive sort of demilitarization in certain sectors of the police because like. They're starting to realize why do you need an armored car? Why do you why do you, why do you need a ram that would take out Fort Knox when right. when you know we we saw it in Solo too. I mean, look at the uh, the car chase uh, scene and the the two uh, the speeder bike. Uh, yeah, I love that. Scene. Those guys. I mean, other than the the black embellishments, which are ostensibly just paint applications, they were standard stormtrooper armor. Right. So yeah, I mean, chips. They exactly. Were Highway Patrol. Yeah, yeah, yeah they totally yeah. were. Absolutely. So yeah, um, it definitely yeah. is relevant to what we're talking about. You know, the... and you remember when you're a kid that on the back of the, the, I think it was the original stormtrooper, but it could have been somewhere else in the on, on the toys or, or yep. in the lore. But that, yep. that, that stormtroopers were the elite shock troopers of the empire. Yeah, yeah. And so that you know, that despite the fact that that's all we had yep. in the first trilogy, I mean, we had some variants and stuff. The idea that the the Death Star trooper, the guy in the black with the the, the weird shape, sort of Darth Vader esque helmet, that the, yeah, they're the yeah, more yeah. numerous. Yeah, they were like generic type. army guys, right? Yeah. Exactly, and that that this that the stormtroopers were this police force, that they were this elite, you know, specialized group, despite their being like. Does this not you know? Millions. Does this not answer some of the questions that we've always had? The the jokiness about Star Wars and sort of the efficacy of a stormtrooper, and we even talked about it today about you know when we decided to phase out clones and go to conscripted yes. soldiers. By now, Obi Wan is already in hiding, so he's not privy to the fact that the clones have been phased out. 
So, right. you know, when he tells Luke Skywalker that only Imperial stormtroopers are this precise, is right. he still thinking that it's largely a clone force? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Probably. That's right. You know, it, maybe it's a little contrived to put it that way, but it's possible. Well, no, I mean, it's valid. Certainly, you know, the template <laughs> that they're based off of, again, remember, like ge- genetic memory, your ability to be good with a, with a blaster is inherent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we're just, we're just going to completely... Did you guys catch the moment that Wrecker smacks his head on a door? Oh, I missed that. Yeah. And so I maybe, did when they're on their way to the start. port and he's got the uh, luggage slung up on his shoulder. Yeah. And he catches right. his head. Just like the stormtrooper in a new hope. He makes a point to say that these guys know, you know, how to, they know weapons or whatever it was. I assume it was a crate of something. He I said kinda, explosives. He's was like, it explosives? Oh, unlimited explosives. Yeah. He cried. He's like, we both cried. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So at this point we're, Basically doing the, uh, you know, the Millennium Falcons blasting its way out of Docking Bay 94. And it's kind of a similar bit where now all of the clones in the vicinity are now descending on the uh, the Havoc Marauder as they are trying to escape. And, they sort uh, of wait a beat for the uh, for Cut's shuttle to take off, too. Yeah, too. And that that's the big thing, too. It's like, we're going to stay here until they're uh, safely away. They're certainly drawing attention. With the, the point of it by, like, having Cut almost be identified before the the attention is completely drawn away. Yeah. And I mean, good timing, I guess. And just, you know, happenstance, or maybe, you know, the, the force works in weird ways, but, uh, Mm. for them to get called away because, you know, a firefight is broken out at the, uh, in the, the impound. The very thing they were trying to avoid. Right. And now it's like, Oh, here we are again. But you know, they, they even say like in the first episode, uh, you know, do you have a plan or you just want us to do what we do? So here they are doing what they do. For good or for bad. Yep. And of course, it's like, where's Omega? And uh, no sooner does Hunter, you know, he's trying to explain that he's, a, you know, he sent her off and you hear that, wait for me. And uh, there's the realization that, uh, you know, she's decided that, you know, she's not going with Cut and uh, Sue and the kids, that she's going to stay with them. And, you know, Hunter has that moment where he's like, oh, and, and I don't know if this is, again, a, a, a patronage thing or a, a familial thing or just a you know that's one of my troops and uh you know no hesitation he jumps off the boarding ramp and he runs out to uh you know to recover her to get her on board the ship no clone left behind yeah exactly right it was his decision to go back and get her in the first place and put everybody in this position so to go back to camino to get as her. a leader he's just yeah. acting out of like like we went through all this for this reason so let's not Let's not blow it now. And, no. And he is the leader. So. And I said, I mean, that just further Absolutely cements control of the situation. It further cements that relationship that maybe like between him, uh, her and him, that they have something that is maybe just a little stronger than, than what she'll have with the rest of them. But I think that's certainly one aspect of the show that I'm going to enjoy sort of the evolution of relationships between, you know, her and the rest of the, the squad. Right. And they describe his, abilities and uh, mutations enhanced senses it, it, right so it might make sense that he's more emotionally sensitive and more maybe like you know you know like yeah you know going back to the the rambo thing i mean like you know not not making fun of sly there but you know if if i can change then you could change and we can all change mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i know yeah he's got he's in his yeah. whole career he's delivered some some heavy you know, there's some stuff in Rocky where he's delivering some heavy stuff and it just sounds like 
like you know if, if that had been uh you know anybody else actor <laughs> that it would have gone down in the annals of being the greatest line greatest in lines in cinematic history you know, <laughs> uh, you know adrian we did it yeah yeah so really the episode kind of closes off with them making their way out of the spaceport cut and the kids and are all they're off on the resistance shuttle <laughs> and uh you know there's that moment where once we've broken orbit again Nobody giving chase. We break orbit and uh, we don't know where they're going at this point. It's just ostensibly away from here. Mm-hmm. Omega and Hunter share that scene in the lower bowels of the shuttle where he's kind of working away at that console. And, and she has her moment where, you know, I know I messed up and I've got a lot to learn, but you don't need to get rid of me. And and he has that understanding of like, you know, well, maybe I've got a lot. And he doesn't say it. But I think it's kind of implied here that he also has a lot to learn because he acquiesces and like, if this is where you want to be, then this is where you're going to be. And so they they have that under. Brand new to every single one of them. And, you know, it's culture shock for her, but also this is that weird breathing point that we talked about in the Winter Soldier that these guys all have now suddenly, uh, ostensibly their, their, their time is going to be occupied by being on the run or trying to find some sort of way to fit into the, the world now. And, um, I think the way that they fit in might be just, uh, you know, noble gun for hire. Yeah. You know, like, uh, what's, what was the old show? Uh, Paladin. That's you right. Know, Paladin was just a, yeah. Noble gun for hire. That's right. Luke Cage. Yeah. I mean, uh, we've, we've talked about it a little bit. I, I, you can't help but make the, draw the comparisons to the Mandalorian, you know, and on some level, yeah. Okay. Formulaic, you know, it was, it worked for the Mandalorian. So I can see, you know, from a company perspective, why wouldn't you lean into that to try and, and keep that momentum going? But at the same and time... The, and I have, to, I have to hit again that the, these aren't new themes. No, no, they are not. That, those relationships between Qui-Gon and Anakin, and we had those relationships explored between Obi-Wan and Anakin and between Palpatine and Anakin and maybe everybody in Anakin, but and, and between Obi-Wan and Luke and certainly Vader and Luke. And so the, the, this, this theme of fatherhood or of parentage or of family or of responsibility is neck and neck with hope as a theme. Yep. And so I, yep. I don't think that it's derivative at all. In fact, I think it's, it's perfectly in line with everything I love about Star Wars. Talking about relationships, I, I just want to go back and sort of just touch on uh, Kanan Jarrus and, and, or Caleb Doom. And mm. I couldn't help but think as I'm watching this, like how... I don't want to say impetuous because that's not the right word, but he's so energetic. I can't help but think of, you know how Obi-Wan was in episode one where he's like, he's cocky. That's right. You know what I mean? I see, you know, oh, apparently you guys are cut from the same cloth. (laughs) And, and he reminds me of Ezra in the first few episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Not over, not mouthy per se, but like. No, no, but just very like, so sure of himself. Yeah, and with good yeah, reason. Yeah. I mean, he he whoops Crosshair's butt. Absolutely, he does. His friggin' sniper rifle off. There's a feint there in that scene. I was watching. I watched it a few times. He goes to go around the the one side of the large tree. Yeah. So Crosshair swings his weapon that way. Yeah. He just like does the force run the other direction and comes out from the other side of the tree so fast. Yeah. It cuts to the end of his and then does that force assisted kick. Yeah. I so did nice like to see him. I did like that they made a point to give us a very clear look at uh, Caleb's lightsaber, and it is in fact the same the same yes. blade that he wields as an adult. Although, yeah. 
not broken down into its component pieces. There's another canical error. Um, Depo Bulepa has a, has a green lightsaber and everything else we've seen. So her lightsaber is blue in this. Interesting. Was it like that? Because she, she does appear in Attack of the Clones. Yeah, it's green. She's in the grandstand, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to go back and take a look at that too. Interesting. Any more of the any more we want any Easter eggs we want to talk about? When they uh, first approach the farm. Yeah. It's nice to see those stat battle androids pop up. Oh right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> roger, yeah. roger. Uh the yeah. spaceport uh on the second episode I noticed that the uh, the same model of droid that Jabba used in the basement of the palace was walking by pushing a crate. Yeah, I lost ca- I lost oh. count of, of all the background aliens yeah. uh, that are so familiar. There's a uh, there's a guy a Bith guy looked like he was begging for change or something. There was a guy. Uh, there was a Bith got on the shuttle with the uh, cut. He was the last yeah, one in line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, the guy that was uh, your uh, your credits won't work here. He's the uh, oh Todarian. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then on Fantastic. the ship at the end of episode two, their wreckers using the one droid, just the gonk like droid, the power droid for uh, power lifting, there. doing some bicep curls. That's right. He is curling it. Anybody uh, use the old, the old school hack panels, the old school sconk panels. Yeah. In the, uh, yeah. At the spaceport. They're everywhere now. They're more prolific in this. And maybe that's plot device because they, you know, quite conveniently built a, a sconk link into, um, into echo. So, I mean, that's his shtick. I mean, if your thing is I can jack into a computer, then he's, you know, plot-wise, he's got to have the ability to do that. Was it the second episode that the, the R2 droid tries to... Um, it is, yeah. With the alarm? smashes it? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. is a totally different... Because every time... Uh, I found that very interesting because we're always rooting for R2 units. So to watch a, an R2 unit get smashed in the head and then... Yeah. And him, him go, I hit the spot. Then have it be noble. Okay, I, no, it is just a droid. Well, I mean, I mean, clearly the droid was a, I don't want to say Republic, an Imperial droid now. Um, yeah. Who was, I mean, the, the, the klaxon alarm sound that came out of it, this right. can only be one thing, right? Mm-hmm. Over here. <laughs> Fantastic. Tons of Orabesh that we never got to, you know, unfortunately. But like I say, if anybody out there uh, did manage to translate it, we'd love to know uh, yeah, what might it, spend some more time what it with said. New episodes uh, every Friday for the next uh, 15 weeks, I guess. That's what it's looking like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, Summer. It is a summer. So and we'll be back. Hopefully we'll get back to our regular publishing schedule so that this will come out sort of within a, a few days of... Uh, Maybe not same day, but uh, within a couple days of uh, the episode airing so that it's still relevant and fresh in your minds. And don't forget that uh, Fandom Power is uh, hoping to expand our uh, our presence on social media. So if you haven't uh, followed us on uh, Facebook, at our Facebook page, please do so. And you can now join us at our brand new, shiny, fresh, still has the new car smell Facebook fan group. It's the Fandom Power Podcast fan group. And we're hoping that uh, you guys will come along with us there and uh, share your ideas and maybe uh, chat with each other about what your favorite fandoms are and uh, what you'd like to see us do in future episodes of the show. Tons of stuff in the pipe. Tons yeah. Tons of stuff in the pipe. I mean, we've got Loki coming up. We've That's got right. The What If series coming up. We've got, there's so much stuff that could be explored here, uh, plus all the amazing random stuff. And guys, from uh, as, a, as a sort of the guest guy here, just everybody check out Wes's other stuff that's going on the barbershop stuff is fantastic check out andy's stuff we're one big family and it's all it's all we're we're having so much fun and it's all wicked content so everybody check everybody's stuff out. all right well 
that's it for me, guys. I think uh, I've talked my way uh, into a, a circle on this one. I don't think I can say much more about it. The show itself, we're two episodes in. I think it's a strong start. A couple of hiccups, and and I my I've made my concerns pretty clear. But I I, I feel like you feel better about it after our conversation. Actually, always do. <laughs> I always do because without that uh, you know framework to bounce off of it, I'm kind of stuck in my own head and. Sometimes that's not always a good place to be. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with that, my friend. Yeah, me too. That's All probably right. just Filoni giving you that just enough familiarity just to make you at well, ease you know, before he and knowing that it's a longer burn than the rest of them. Yeah, that's why you know what I mean. Like, no, because there's a, eight episodes of forty minutes or half hours of Mandalorian. Look at what we touched, and we're about to get fifteen more half hours of Dave right, Filoni playing right. in the sandbox. And I'm like, wow, yeah, okay, let's do it. Yeah, and I'm not a, you know, I don't want the same rehashing of everything over and over again. So if we, uh, as much as I love the familiarity, and, and as we've already talked about, sort of the the legacy stuff within Star Wars, the the cyclic, the reuse of lines and the, the nods, I'm great with that stuff. Hoping for some new, uh, this is my, just on a side note, whenever we've played the Star Wars role-playing game, this mm. this is the period of history where I like to set my games. What the yep. uh, in the opening crawl, the first lines of the opening crawl, it is a dark time. This is mm. what, at least in legends, was referred to as the dark times. And to me, that's right. It's the most compelling, most exciting, you know, time to be in Star Wars because, you know, the the fledgling rebellion isn't this big. You know, hasn't hasn't found its footing yet, and so now the the oppression of the empire is everywhere, and everybody's struggling with something. This is so what Disney is uh, rebranded as the rise of the empire. Rise of the empire. So I'm gonna have to right. get my head around that. <laughs> it's rise of the empire right up until the Battle of Yavin, and then it becomes the Age of Rebellion. Age of Rebellion. Okay, yeah. rise of the empire. So again, this Where is my Rogue one fits in. Rogue one fits into that. Solo fits into that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and now Bad Batch is the third property to fit squarely into the rise of the Empire. It is my favorite piece of of Star Wars history because it's it you know from a role playing perspective it's largely uh-huh. untapped and you can do all kinds of things. And it's that... the one we know the least about. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, guys. Well, this has been the first episode of the Fan Batch. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Our next one, hopefully, we'll get back to our regular song stylings and be a little bit more on point with the uh, the beat by beat. Anything to close out on with any, Andy? Join us next time. Same Sorry. batch time. Same, same batch, batch yes. channel. Same batch time. Same it. batch Wait. channel. <laughs> All right, guys. Until next time, be well, my friends. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Fandom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms. Fandom Power is a Sawcast production.
Have you ever wanted to start a podcast, but you didn't know where to begin? Maybe you'd like to try podcasting without having to invest in any recording equipment. Do you have an idea for a show, but you're not sure how to develop it? Let Sawcast Productions take care of all of that so you can focus on what it is you want to say. Sawcast Productions offers podcasting solutions ranging from recording and basic editing to fully produced episodes complete with all the audio embellishments of a broadcast quality show. When your show is ready, Sawcast Productions can distribute it too. Contact us online today. So, what do you want to say?